Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. Meat Hunt, the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, joined today, very special guest, Tucker Carlson, host of Fox News Channel's Tucker Carlson Tonight. This is where it gets confusing. And host of Fox Nation's Tucker Carlson Today and Tucker Carlson Originals, which got Corinne wondering, um, since tonight is encapsulated in today, what's the difference between the two shows? You know, I haven't. I need to. I haven't looked at my contract in a while. There is, <laughs> there is a distinction, <laughs> but it's a lot of talking in both. Hit me with a bunch of superlatives. You have like you're the you're the the most uh, watched cable news commentator, cable news newscaster. Having been this is my 26th year doing this, and having been the least watched cable news commentator, I see everything as kind of the the Buddhist wheel of life. Yeah. So I'm on one end of it at the moment. Doubtless will be on the other end. At, you know, another but you moment. have been on the other end. Oh God, yeah. You, you you wouldn't know this because I, I can't say that we met, but you, um, uh, I was in your presence one time because years ago, uh, TRCP, yes, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, they do this Capital Awards dinner, yes, where they give a they usually honor they they honor someone from each side of the aisle, yes, so they honor a Republican and a Democrat, and then usually someone from the House, usually from the, someone from the Senate, sometimes two governors. And you gave some opening remarks. And yeah, I, was standing I, there. I, I like. You might have noticed. Uh, you might have noticed a, a young man in the audience. <laughs> so I like them, and I like Trout Unlimited. There, I mean, I I lived in Washington for a long time, and I dealt with a lot. I'm, obviously, I care about conservation and the the land and all that. And and I, but I only trust the groups with sportsmen in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't tell a deciduous from a conifer, if you can't like identify. Yeah, bird or yeah. fish species, like you're you're faking it, and and those guys are for real, and they they fish and they shoot in, and I and I like them. Yeah, you can have a conversation. But there are a lot of there are a lot of fake groups out there. Whoa. Uh, 
You know, I just, I've always only been focused on the sportsman ones. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah. Because they're... Well, root- I just feel like we're talking the same language. Well, because they're rooted in physical reality. Yeah. You know, saving the environment. Okay, what environment? And how are you saving it? And how is it improving? You know, so if you can go to... I mean, that's it. It's, not, it's a non-ideological measure, but like, tell me what you're doing with the money. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons I like to you. It's like, well, we, okay, there's a stream near my house that they improved. How did they improve it? They, you know... They put more cover. Yeah. Do you know they put some pools in? Like, that's a good thing. The fish like it. I like it. You know, I'm happy to give money to them. Um, anyway, so, but the- The other day we did a TU, um, who was more involved in that? It was us, our company, T, Trotter, I think Trotter Limited did it, right? The river yeah. cleanup? The Gallatin County chapter, Sims. I think. Yeah. It was, there's Sims. two companies that are based here. Sims, like we're based here. Sims is based here, the waiter company. But then TU put on a basically just cleaning trash out of the local yeah, river. Yeah, if you're taking tires out of the stream, I'm on your side. You know, uh, I, I've mentioned this a bunch of times, but do you remember the humorist um, Patrick McManus? He used to write like humor fishing pieces. Yes, yeah. I do. He uh, had a piece where he explained that the difference between a creek and a crick is that a crick has a tire in it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I fish so. around truck tires all the time. Uh so, audiobook sales update. Um, man, with our the campfire, Meat Eaters Campfire Stories, Close Calls, came out on Tuesday. By Tuesday night, it was number one on Apple for audiobooks. It was bouncing between two and four on Audible, number two and number four. We were like neck and neck with old, uh, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey's book. And neck and neck with one of the political tell-alls that's out right now. So that book's kicking ass. And I'll tell you, that's all to uh, that's all to you listeners that did that for us. Um, because we have, there was no, it's an audio original, so there's no like physical book, right? Um, there's no, uh, it's just you guys did that. Thanks for the support. Because it wasn't from, there's no like media channel that was supporting us. We just like made it, did it. And it launched up and became the number one book on Apple for audio that day. Out of the gate. So thanks to everyone listening, man. Heartfelt appreciation. And then also you guys really made my day because we had our we finally had the 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 our wilderness skills um and survival book made the New York Times bestseller list, thanks to you guys. There's no other way to there's no other way to account for it. Which so, I actually read. Oh really? Yeah. It's great. It was great. So appreciate the help to everybody out there. Uh Here's I added this one, Corinne. You'll notice I added a note. Okay, I see. New Jersey will now have no bear season at all. Um, it was that you weren't going to be able to do it. What on like state land? Exactly. Now you can't do it at all. And like they have a they have a management plan, but everybody's got to sign off on the management plan. So they just are acting like they just haven't read the management plan. So now like it passed a certain deadline. No one actually said there can't be a bear season, but the opponents of the bear season just stalled furthering the management plan and like haven't read it. The deadline hit. Now that the deadline hit, it's too late in the year. Huh. If you live in New Jersey, you got to get a brand new governor. Phil Murphy campaigned as like ending the bear. That was like a campaign promise to end bear hunting. Is there a population conservation argument to be made for the decision? No, they it's have, a, New no. Jersey has the highest density of black bears in the country. It's un- they, they ate a kid from Rutgers a few years ago. 
No, they it, got shitloads of bears. It man. takes a lot for a black bear to eat somebody. Yeah. There have to be a lot of what them. They would do, what they would do that was stupid, in my view, is when you hunt bears in New Jersey and you get a bear, you have to go to the check station, okay? But they just have check stations out in public, like in a parking lot off the side of the road, and they publicize it. Here, when you get a bear, you very you go and you take it to what would make sense. You go to the fish and game office and you meet with a biologist and you go to a place, a secure location, whatever. Not secure, but it's not it's not like they don't like call the press to tell them you're coming down with a bear. They pull a tooth, get the biometric data, and you register the bear. Here they have like they were like, on Saturday at noon, we'll be registering bears at this public pullout. And so everybody shows up there and has like a conniption. They do that with they do that with whitetails too. I remember oh shooting God, deer in New man. Jersey and taking it down to the local deli, and you show a guy and he hands you a sighties tag over the ham. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it wouldn't be a sighties tag. Yeah, they would give you a red like tag that you would then clip on the deer after you checked it in. That's what they do in Maine. No, sighties is the international. What the hell, sighties, Cal? That's that's right. Yeah, Island. not sighties, but it's like that same yeah, sort of, same you. sort of tag. Like the metal tag you clip on. Uh, Murphy's one of those dudes that also, as well, he's one of those dudes that during his state's lockdown, he had the really thing where he, someone made a very embarrassing video where he's out at, at a restaurant with everybody. And then this woman comes up to him who's making the video and she goes, Murphy, you're such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was a bear hunter, but she was just pissed about the... Uh, uh, I think it's important to point out, though, that, that the governor doesn't care about bears. He's not doing this on behalf of bears. He's oh. doing it on behalf of the segment of the population that cares about bears, and he wants that vote. This person's not out saving bears in other states. One of the like statistically crazy things uh, that that you're kind of uh, glossed over is the the student, the Rutgers student that was eaten, was in a group of hikers. So, you know, an individual is one thing. A group being accosted by a bear and an individual being taken out of that group puts it into a whole another statistical category of For an of eastern attack. black bear? Has that ever happened before? I've never heard of Not that. Not to my knowledge. It's probably just yeah. a crazy bear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a, a wild deal, but that, that bear consumed uh, part of that student. And uh, because of that, he was protecting his cash. And the, uh, has it DNR in, in New Jersey? Anyway, you know what I like to say when shot. I can't think of what it is? I say um, the State Fish and Wildlife Agency. I, uh, that always that covers too. you, right? Yep. <laughs> you yep. look like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, oh, we got a quick book report. So we have a bunch of times talked, but we're, we're trying to explain like what's up with... Um, this became of interest. What's up with us? What, what uh, we used to call silencers, but have been rebranded as suppressors. And I was explaining how when I first got a suppressor, I turned in my paperwork and it took 14 months. Mm -hmm. And then I thought something had changed. I said, I don't know what changed, but it felt like something changed. And then someone started talking about, I'm holding in my hand what's called a... Solid trap. Yeah, this is some... Listen, <laughs> I'm all for it, but this is some BS. Yeah. I love it, but it's BS. It's like, well, I'm holding in my hand a suppressor that doesn't have the hole drilled in it. Right, right. Which prompted me to, there was a, I remember a garage band in, when I was a kid in Michigan, there was a garage band that sold records with no hole in it. And the record was called Drill Your Own Hole. Mm. It was like the name of the album. <laughs> it was marked, but you had to drill your own hole. So this is a drill your own hole. 
And similarly, and, if you, if Garrett, you, take it over because Garrett's well, going to explain yeah. this whole world to us. Now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, he similarly, it. if you uh, drilled your own hole in the wrong spot, it'd probably wreck the album and you'd probably have a like an adverse effect on your suppressor there. Oh, so, like if you just drilled it off to the side? Yeah, You're going to yeah, want to yeah, drill yeah, press like, for that yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. So that, that company actually. This they, is yours. That's mine. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't have a hole in the end of it. When they send you your solvent trap, uh, they send you a drill bit and a guide for your drill bit. Just in case. Just in case you might, you know, want to turn it into a suppressor. Okay. So now, walk, walk us through walk us through all yeah, the legals. Yeah. So the legal, like like you laid out with the regular suppressor side, you know, it's a pretty long but straightforward process where you have to file for, to get your own suppressor, right? This is, solvent traps are just another form of a homemade suppressor. So people have been doing it like with oil filters, right? They buy an oil filter, plug a hole in the end of it, and it's a suppressor. Because really a suppressor is just like a, like a muffler on a car. Mm-hmm. Like that's Maxim uh, suppressors. They're pretty, well, they're the first ones. Like Theodore Roosevelt ran a suppressor on his gun, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Did you just learn that in your little research session or did you already know that? Oh man, Nephi was on the spot. Yeah. He told you about yeah, that. Yeah, he was He was all about it. But yeah, uh, yeah so. Oh, Teddy Roosevelt ran a suppressor. Yeah, on his 1894 lever action. Yeah. What was it chambered in? 3030. Nice. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah. How do you, how do you get a suppressor guns. on a lever gun? Well, I think they had to have just, like, welded it on there. There's yeah. no other way to do it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, no, he did it on several guns. But the biggest thing is, so homemade suppressors have been around for a while. And so what the ATF did is they established this, like, it's a Form 1. So it's an e-form that you can fill out that says, hey, I want to build a suppressor. Um, and you have to get permission to build one. That's why there's not a hole drilled in the end of that one is I haven't got permission yet. And oh, so you don't drill the hole till they say you can drill the hole. Exactly. So ah. the, the thing that's attractive about this That is, makes a hell of a lot more sense now. Yep. What's attractive about this is like your experience with 14 months, which is a little different now. Like it's more like seven to eight months, right? Yeah. Well, but, Silencer Central, they're doing them in 12 weeks, eight to 12 weeks or no? I don't think so. I feel like somebody kind of maybe misspoke when they said that, but it's still like seven to eight months. The nice oh, thing about okay. Silencer Central, it's different, is like you saw it. You can go up, you know, buy your suppressor, fill out a form, and then they take it from there and you don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to worry about how to fill out all the other paperwork. They just auto populate it all and then they send it because they have a FFL in every state. They just send it directly to your house. Like there's no checkout process, right? Like when it's approved, it goes right to your house. Yeah, and they do the fingerprinting. So like I right. noticed that they're at the Sturgis bike rally. At the Sturgis bike rally, they can fingerprint you. Yep. Which normally dudes, I think that dudes at Sturgis aren't looking to get fingerprinted. Yeah, I mean, certainly not have it sent. Just, into the just going out on a limb. But many yeah. have been before. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> They're like, this is the second time I got yeah. fingerprinted at Sturgis. Like, just go down to the county jail. They have them for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they should be on file, yeah. bro. Yeah. Um, but the attractive thing with homemade suppressors or buying a solvent trap is you can realistically. You better explain what a solvent trap is. All right. Yeah, because nobody can see it that was being passed around. A solvent trap is. For, for all intents and purposes, it's a suppressor that doesn't have no. the end hole drilled in. Yeah. No, but why would one legit- Well, when you're cleaning your gun, right, you can push patches through your gun and it catches the solvent in the patches so it doesn't- Dribble on, on your garage yeah. floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've actually pushed solvent into that solvent trap just because that's why I bought it. Do you think right? that- any, Yeah, but here, let me ask you this. Do you think that anyone out there on the planet has- um? 
use the solvent trap just to trap solvent? Originally, yes. Okay. Like it was a thing. They looked a lot different than this, right? It was it was not a undrilled suppressor when it originally came out. Right? We used it was what's like called a, a towel. Yeah, you gotta get a permit for one of those. Use that for a suppressor too. But um, you gotta get a Charmin permit. Yeah. So these solvent traps, why they're attractive is like they're pretty much a suppressor without a hole drilled in the end of it, and you can extrapolate from there. But what's we'll that? What did that one cost you? So that was seven hundred bucks. Huh. So they charge the suppressor fees. Yeah, if you go to the same site, Jeez. it's also seven hundred bucks for a suppressor, right? So they're the same cost. You'll notice my name and there's some other numbers are engraved on that, and uh, put, the old put your glasses on. But the reason for it is if you buy a solvent trap, a lot of companies just you know thinking maybe you want people to be able to find it in case you lose it. Um, ask if you want certain things engraved on the side of it. And the reasoning for that is when you turn a solvent trap into a suppressor, when you're filming, filling out your e-form, your uh, form one, they require you to state your name, where it's manufactured, the uh, serial number, and I think like the caliber. And they said it has to be printed on your suppressor that you're making. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these companies, when they send you a solvent trap, they'll just ask you what you're putting on your form one. Just in case you decided to turn it Just in case you wanted to drill a hole. Um, Now, the attractive thing about it is if you're willing to go through like those steps, um, a lot of times you're approved in 60 days, sometimes less, sometimes more like six weeks. You can have that. Now, I screwed my- you're just uh, as legal as anybody else then. Just as legal. The, The main difference is that it's electronic. So the reasoning that a regular suppressor takes so long is you send in all this paperwork to the ATF- Right. And then they have to file it and then they're checking on you and they're checking on the manufacturer. What's frustrating about it is after all that time when you send in your paperwork, the system that they check is the same system that when you go to go get a firearm. Right. So like a lot the of Nick's Nick's, right? Yeah, the yeah. Nick's system, right? So like a lot of uh countries when they sell you firearm not a lot, but there's a lot of European countries when they send sell you a firearm like you can buy it with a suppressor on it because they're like well if we checked you out for a firearm and you don't have a, you know felonies or anything like that why couldn't you have a suppressor mm-hmm. and so that's why like the the whole solvent trap thing is pretty cool if you're willing to go through those steps right and and fill out an e-form because yeah six weeks usually you can have a suppressor so are you waiting on um yeah John Q. Yep. Law to tell you can drill your hole? Yeah, I screwed up the first process. They send you, they basically send you a confirmation email that says, hey, sign this and send in your fingerprints. Um, and I didn't see that. And then you have 30 days to print it off and send it back. And I did it at 35. And then I called them and pleaded with them. And they're like, nope, start over. But mm. yeah, other than that, it would have been drilled by now. Tell everybody about how you uh, were honored with Employee of the Month here at Mediator. I was, yeah. This but, is also his first time on the podcast. This is also for Garrett Long. Second. Ladies, oh, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Garrett Long. Yeah. yeah. You were on the podcast what do you do, Garrett? I was at the- Phil, Wild... you don't even know what, Phil doesn't even know what you do, Jeez. Garrett. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just for the audience, Steve. I guess, oh. I guess my job is to make sure that people listen to the podcast. Um, so I'm the marketing director here, but uh, yeah, I was on it when uh, I was at Cheap Foundation. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't remember. But you didn't work for us then. No, I didn't work for you. Um, but- uh, that was pretty cool. We were kind of upset actually because we tried to find like this specific brand of wild cheap whiskey to bring in, 
And then we asked you after the podcast if you want to have a drink, and you were like, oh, I don't drink anymore. And then it was like a couple months later, you were drinking like a beer <laughs> in one of the episodes. We're like, oh, man, wrong brand of whiskey. Well, no, it's just I've, I bounce around on drinking yeah. and not drinking. Yeah. Like I, I, like I drank last night, but I still don't drink. Right, right. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do feel like, though. I know what well, you're saying. <laughs> yeah, Brody, you were there for it. It was awkward last night. Yeah. What did I say to the waitress? You asked for half a shot of vodka. Yeah, you did. In, that in, in your bloody Mary. <laughs> the margarita. You're like, she I'll was just very. Take half. She, she didn't really know. What yeah, to think she had about no that. clue. Well, no. Here's the problem. How do you I didn't know their that? normal pour is a two ounce pour. So I said I want half the amount. And so she goes, so an, an ounce. I'm like, no, half the amount. She goes, well, it's normally two. I'm like, well, I want a, a quarter. <laughs> A quarter of the normal amount. Brody would like my, <laughs> give my leftovers to Brody. She's very accommodating. Very accommodating. She also looked very confused. <laughs> <laughs> I do think we need to go back though, Steve, uh, this employee of the month thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. We kind of glossed over that. That I was very honored. Well, you wanted to spend more time on <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, I feel like we, you kind of mentioned it and I don't know if the listeners would like I grasped that I got employee the month. No, he month. got it, and and he does everything he does is great. But it was kind of like a, it was sort of a looking back on the pandemic. Garrett, uh, when everything got shut down and the governor closed the, you know what I mean, closed the whole state. You weren't supposed to go anywhere. Garrett fearlessly just drove all over in his truck. He he became like UPS meal delivery quarantine yeah. services. If you had a direct exposure and had to hold up, Garrett would come bring you your stuff. You'd look out your window and see him leaving stuff on your doorstep selflessly. Wow. Yeah. I actually didn't think you were going to go into it that much, but I appreciate it. Well, listen, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a thing I like about people. Um, I like the people who will, uh, I like people who will shovel shit and not complain about it. Yeah. And you were shit shoveling. Yeah. During the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. He also woke up at the butt crack the other day to take. Samantha and I shooting. So, thank so I'm you talking very about much. exactly. Hey, is this Early what it's rising? like whenever you're on this podcast? You just no, no. This, this is not Spencer's experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually it's the exact opposite. Definitely not Phil's experience. We'll get you next time. Next time we'll say some bad stuff about you. Uh, oh, Corinne, can you do the quick thing about the town? Okay. Yeah. So a couple of episodes ago, we talked about deer vehicle collision study where wolves and wolves saving lives possibly was kind of all part of that. Yeah, the, the, study to that stop we're, deer we're not, car collisions, yeah. you need more wolves. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't quite sure about that. But in any case, there were a number, the study was done in Wisconsin. And uh, I really butchered the pronunciation of one county in Wisconsin. Uh, the correct pronunciation is Waukesha. Dozens of people wrote in to <laughs> correct me. On that, so we issued a correction, but including an, 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 uh, a current NFL player. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What did what did you call it? Wakisha. Wakisha. Yeah, and uh, someone who lives in Wisconsin with family in Waukesha wrote that he was just absolutely stunned that the one thing that we had missed in our correction was that Waukesha is where the film Grumpy Old Men is. Based. I had no idea. No, I don't think any. I mean, I didn't know that until. We talk about that film a lot. Yeah, which brought up, you need to go on, go to Instagram, go yep. to my Instagram, probably Cal's too. What's yours, Cal? Cal's is like old Cal 406. Old Cal 406? Mine's uh, very tricky. It's at Stephen Ronella. Go there and, and uh, you'll see on April 1, we had a, we did an, uh, what the French would call an homage. It's brilliant, guys. Two grumpy old men called grumpy middle-aged men. 
one of the most uh, ruthless fight scenes you'll ever see. Yeah, wasn't it Starring Wabashaw? Wasn't it Wabashaw though on the? I thought it was Wabashaw in the movie. Yeah, it is. I thought that's what it was too. Yeah. Oh, is this whole thing wrong? Do we need to issue another correction on the? No, no, I, I want to put the rest. <laughs> it's gonna go the way of those when you get hair growing on your eyeball. How we quit talking about that? It's gonna go. Wabashaw is going the way of that. Um. Anyway, go check that out. It's the one of the funniest videos we put out this year. Real quick, uh, and this is going to tie into our next talking point, so it's real slick. Um, Seth and I are fresh off a, well, I am fresh off a spearfishing trip to Louisiana. I'm fresh off a fishing trip to Louisiana. Seth don't get in the water. I've told everybody this. I was I was razzing. <laughs> I was like, Seth, he's not like, he doesn't like, he loves the water, but doesn't want to be in it. I love boats. He likes boats. <laughs> It's not that he likes the water. He likes boats. <laughs> uh, I kept harassing him about why he wouldn't get in there and take a take a little shot or two with the spear gun, and he uh, clarified to me he likes to bring the fish to him. Yep, that's right. He I like, need to go I in like there. boats. I like rod and reels. doesn't need to go in there with him. But uh, we were di- this is a thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time. My God, it was fun. Uh, we were diving the oil rigs. So... It's like it's hard to even explain, man. Thousands of oil oil platforms to do all manner of things. Out and we, how many miles out did we go? I think just over seventy. Yeah, we had a distinct advantage because our buddies had just speared a. Our buddies were down there to do. Um, who, who, they both been on the podcast, Greg Fonts and Alex Renault. Mm-hmm. And you want to see some full circle, full circling. These two are featured in the Close Calls, the Meat Eaters Campfire Stories Close Calls edition. They are featured in the Close Calls with Spearfishing Close Calls. Um, what hell was I saying about us, Seth? They were down there doing something. Oh, they were there for a spearfishing tournament. So they had already, like, beyond scouted for two days. So we got the real gravy pickings. Yeah. Because we went out, I don't know, 40, 50 miles out in the Gulf, and they knew, like, that rig, that rig, that rig. Uh, when the Mississippi flows out, it's got like a murky fresh water and fresh water lays on the salt water. So when you go up to a rig, like you get out of the boat and swim up to a rig, you can't see anything, man. Like you could hold your hand out and can't see your fingertips. In fact, you can't reload your spear gun at the surface without moving it around to see what's going on. Like you can't see the other end of the gun. But when you dive down from three feet to 15 feet, all of a sudden it's like, poof, you like enter the blue water. Like it's just... It's like someone pulling back the curtains. So you dive down and you get through that muddy murk and all of a sudden it's like, the whole world opens up. Unbelievable. Unbelievable fish. Uh, Which gets me to this point. These guys, you know, you'll get, we we, we went out one time far out to try chumming. So we're chumming. What was that fish we were chumming with? Do you remember? Not bunker. No, I don't remember the, I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, I can't remember either. They used a word I wasn't familiar with, but I bet I would know it by a different name. They use a lot. The guys on there use a lot of French words. I didn't know that. All their ducks, the the Cajuns, all their ducks, they use the French word for the duck. Um, Sharks show up like a a mofo when you're doing this. And these guys, uh, when a shark comes in and he starts getting like kind of aggressive, what's funny is they're very good at reading the shark's mood and they'll go in and chase him. Like they dive down and chase them off, dive down and maybe like poke them or hit them in the nose to run them off. Like you're running off a dog. Uh, and we had a recent episode we did with Kimmy Werner 
And she talked about the same thing. And I was remarking on her going down and confronting sharks, diving down to them to confront them, to get them to move away. And this guy was saying he was listening to Kimmy's hot tip about this. And he was surfing at Dana Point, California. And there was a great white that was hanging around there. And he charged at it with his surfboard and spooked it off. It's huge. Spooked just it off. some pictures yeah. there. Got ag- took Kimmy's advice, got aggressive on it. It left and never came back, so he says. <laughs> but Do he not- also mentions that he did not stay in the water. He returned to shore immediately. I didn't read it that far. Yeah. So did the shark leave or did he leave? A little bit of both. But he, he did <laughs> successfully charge the shark. The fin disappeared, never to be seen again. But uh, his vantage point from thereafter was from the shore looking out not the surfboard looking down. He includes some beautiful photographs of the shark, though. Gorgeous. I like that shark a lot. Uh, okay, now, uh, turn the attention. This is our last thing before we get to our guest. Turn, but this is, this is sizable, right? Are we ready to move on? Yeah. Spencer has been advocating. Can I just tell him? Can we, can this, do you care if it's like kind of postmodern feeling where we talk about talking about it? Take the lead. Go ahead. You don't care? No. It's, very, it's postmodern. It's behind the scenes. In show business, there's a thing called the fourth wall. Um, a way you can imagine is like, well, let's say you're watching a sitcom. You can see what's happening on three of the walls, right? Like they come in, the husband and wife get in an argument, the kids say something sassy, right? You can see like three walls, but you never see the fourth wall because that's where the camera is. So in show business, we'll say that we broke the fourth wall. We're breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Spencer's been advocating heavily that we need to have a um, trivia, a trivia element, an occasional trivial trivia element to the show. Um, and I think it's got a lot of legs, and I see our path toward a, a board game. I There's like a lot it. riding on this. <laughs> <laughs> if Spencer does, if he's good, that he has a bright future. These are trivia questions curated by me. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find them anywhere else. They're not trivia questions. You're going to get in Trivial Pursuit or on Jeopardy or at your neighborhood bar and grill. This is exclusive to the Meat Eater podcast. But it's informed by audience. Correct. It's informed by things that people want to know. These questions are born out of Meat Eater's four verticals. Tell them what they are, Steve. Hunting, fishing, wild foods, and conservation. That's right. And we have 10 questions. And there is a prize. So we have stakes. So no cheating off Tucker. Cal, when uh, when you're writing down your Tucker, answer. Tucker, I want you to know, man, you don't have to participate. <clears throat> I was on Jeopardy. I love this really? I won. Whoa. Like, oh, feel only thing Spencer? I brag about. <laughs> like, like a celebrity Jeopardy? Or yeah, it was, like... it was the bullshit edition. But and yeah. who, who'd you play <laughs> against? Like you and Burt Reynolds? Or? No. Was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew him. He was a nice guy. No, uh, it was... It was... Oh, God, he's so unimpressive. From Also from Michigan. I'm sorry. Bob Seger? Uh, no, Bob Woodward. Oh. Uh, oh, the journalist? Yeah, the journalist. And He didn't tear it up? No, God, no. All the interviews all. he's done? No, he's a little slow, actually. I was sort of surprised. And Peggy Noonan, who's a very nice person. Why do you say it was bullshit? You think they, like, Oh, it was way easier. Oh, yeah. they softball. Oh, oh, come on. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there was, like, no Greek mythology. and I, I did it hungover and did fine. It was pretty <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> So the prize. So Spencer wanted forty-five minutes, <laughs> and, and we've negotiated down to I think we're at like twenty. Yeah, yeah, but I'm very excited about this. 
I think that if you, I, I'm, I hope I'm, I had Spencer sit. I made uh, Spencer has Brody's chair. I wanted to be so close to Spencer while he did it to see how it went. And the prize is Meat Eater has generously agreed to donate one hundred dollars to a conservation organization of the winner's choice in the winner's name. So that is what's on the line here. And Corinne, if, it, if this takes off and becomes really good, we'll we'll have to up the stakes. There we go. Well, this is just an introductory level. Corinne or Phil, can one of you tally up the scores for me while we do this? I'd love to. Sure. All right. Look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? You just tend to win everything. Well done. We ready? You Everyone has your, a whiteboard board in front of Oh, them. right to you. Okay, yeah. great. He doesn't know what right. the hell. None of us know what's going on because we've never tried it. <laughs> I thought we should just shout out the answers. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> the first like, question oh, is oh, multiple oh, choice. Okay. You're not going to get any more multiple choice after this, so I'm, I'm giving you. Do we keep our whole board secret? Yeah, I mean, I don't want I don't want Cal showing Garrett and no. Seth I mean, I, I, what out. I mean is, are we do all of no, it? No, no, no. There will be after the first question. I will tell you to reveal your answer, and then we'll have a moment where we can laugh at Seth because he wrote something dumb, um, and and we all know what everyone's answer. Foregone right. conclusion. It'll Seth. probably happen. <laughs> That's right. Multiple choice. The topic is conservation. Which one of these conservation organizations is oldest? Walleyes Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited. <laughs> Trout Unlimited or Whitetails Unlimited? Which one is the oldest? Walleyes, ducks, trout, or whitetails? Oh man. See, I feel like it's one of those ones where <laughs> Oh come on, that's obvious. I know what to put. I know what to put. Well. Can I look it up? <laughs> huh. Hmm. These are the only four unlimited uh conservation organizations that I could find, but I feel like we should start like a squirrel one. At some point. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. We have Rocky Mountain Squirrel Foundation. Yeah. Is there really such a thing? No, we're going to start it. <laughs> I love that. We're gonna... <laughs> it's unofficially. It's Yan- unofficially Yanni's it, organization. Like he doesn't do anything with it, though. It used to be in Giannis's bio on the website that yeah. he is the founder of it. All right, does everyone have an answer? Reveal your answers. We have Whitetails Unlimited. It was founded in 1982. Let me tell you why I put down what I put. Never mind. Walleyes Unlimited was founded in 1969. Trout Unlimited in 1955. And Ducks Unlimited, the correct answer, was 1937. We got, everyone did well there. Did everyone get it? I got it wrong. Listen, listen, here's why. I thought it was going to be one of those gotcha questions. You never Hmm. think it'd be walleyes. That's kind of embarrassing. So now that I see that you're just going for obvious... (laughs) I wanted it so bad to be Walleyes and Limited. The great story about it is when it was founded, the founder was originally just going to call it, just going to call it Ducks, but it was going to be an international organization. Huh. And one of the other founders pointed out to him that, well, this would be limited. This would be uh, categorized as a limited corporation in Canada. So Canada would refer to it as Ducks Limited. And the founder's quote was, damn it, we don't want limited Ducks. So the solution then was to name it Ducks Unlimited. <laughs> but that is that great. I love the, this game. That begs the question. <laughs> so it's now Ducks Unlimited Limited. Yeah, if you like dug around in the paperwork of what Canadians refer to it as, I'm, I'm guessing that's what it would be categorized. Ducks Unlimited as. Limited. Comma Limited. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, and that then like I imagine Spawn Trout to give that name and Whitetails and, and sure. everyone else. So that's how it started. Hmm. Dang Canadians. Cal, you're into this, aren't you? 
Oh, I love hey, it. Hey, where's our it's interest great. meters, Phil? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people in the room. I don't think I would have had space to set it up. Turn mine up if you can. Got it. <laughs> Question two. The category is public lands. Which state has the most national parks? Hmm. Hold on. You, 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 that's Wait, it? By size that's or it? by number? No, no, no. The number of them. Oh, I think I'm going to The right. number wow. of national parks. Well, hold on a minute, man. Are that's you talking what? about like, like, uh, like, uh, what about like Gettysburg or something like what, that? What the National Park Service would identify <sighs> as a national See, park. Yeah, question, but this dude. is not, this is not square miles. This is not no. percentage of land. The, the number of them okay. that there are. And it is a close race at the top. I will give you that hint. Yeah. Cause I think the Some smallest dumb. national park on register is, is less than a square mile of land. No I believe so. And it's yeah. a what? It's a that island. I think so. That is not the question, though. No. I remind you, the question I'm is just, which state... I'm letting people know there's sure. really big national parks and mm-hmm. there's a little tiny national parks. Which park. state has the most? I don't think I have it right. <laughs> What's your fear? Do you think... Did you go the obvious or not obvious one on this one? No, because I'm thinking about something that's probably wrong. Mm. Worked yourself into a pretzel. Yeah, I'm ready to tell you. Does that. everyone have an answer? Uh, begrudgingly. Reveal your answers. The only person who got it right is Tucker. Oh, I put California. It too. is California. Yeah, baby. California. You playing, Corinne? Le- yes. California is. Oh, who's number two? California. Okay, I'll put yeah. you on. Thank you. Right. California leads the nation at nine. You then have Alaska at eight. Oh, that's where I was. Utah at five and Colorado at four. Here's why I went Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's because you know they have like the park. They have those like park and preserve designations, and there's yep. a lot of them, man. Spencer, do you we were talking about that yeah, earlier today. That's you why get extra points for lengthy explanations of why you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you well, do not. But I appreciate yeah, it. Is them. Stupid. It is stupid for me to tell you why. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna quit doing it. I'm just gonna be wrong. No, I'm, 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 I'm looking for that in this game. I want you to like make me fat chest self and uh, explain how wrong you got it. That kind of thing. Okay, so keep it up. California at nine, Alaska at eight. Alaska 8, Utah 5, Colorado 4. The nine national parks are Channel Islands, Death Valley, Joshua Tree, Kings Canyon, Lassen Volcanic, Pinnacles, Redwood, Sequoia, and Yosemite. You know, a little bit of constructive feedback for you. Okay, I'm ready. Your, you knocked it out of the park (laughs) on the first tidbit, like the post-question tidbit. Yep. The second, no one wants to hear a list of nine things. Mm-hmm. I disagree. The second tidbit I thought was horrible. <laughs> okay. Just going forward. Too much information. Yeah. Going forward, the first tidbit was wonderful. All but right. it's already constructed. But the second tidbit, like, you can't list nine things to somebody. <laughs> look at look at They're what happened of, yeah. in the competition side of things, though, right? We were like had a strong heat going, and all of a sudden, now we have a clear front runner in two rounds. <laughs> yeah. Like, that. that's a mark of a good game. The tidbit was specifically no, for I'm Tucker, not criticizing the game. Right. I'm criticizing the tidbit. Mm-hmm. I would like, the, the first tidbit set a real bar. I'm rounding out your compliment sandwich, Steve. <laughs> hey, at least he didn't slow down the podcast or anything with, with that and keep us from question three. Ready? Ready. <laughs> I, I just like to point out that Corinne is also playing, and she is also uh, two for two. Hell yeah, yeah. She doesn't have a whiteboard, yeah, so I don't I trust what she says. I got this on my email. I like it. Phil, fact check her down I'm, I'm going to do a scoreboard update that's very unnecessary, where Steve has zero correct. 
And yeah. the only person in the room was zero. Yeah, we're just getting started. <laughs> we set aside 45 minutes for this right now. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. The topic is biology. What is the term for when there is a distinct difference in size or appearance between males and females of the same species? I'll give you some examples. A female softshell turtle grows about twice as big as a male softshell turtle. A mule deer buck has antlers while a mule deer doe does not. These are examples of what biological term? Ah, it's basically, did you listen to the last episode yeah. of the Meteor Podcast? Oh, was this talked about then? Oh, yeah. We've talked about okay. it 30 times. Uh, really? We've talked about how Neanderthals don't seem to have exhibited it. Oh. And humans but have low levels. Ospreys Eagles. are extreme. Okay. Suck it. Whoa, Spencer. whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I don't, does everyone have it written down? I don't know. I, I saw his board, so I can't, I can't participate. Oh, right. I'm sorry, man. No. I ruined it. The correct answer, as most folks in the room <laughs> have What's it. What's Garrett got? <laughs> macro <laughs> macro fructation. <laughs> the correct answer is sorry. what, Corinne? Sexual dimorphism. That is right. Sexual dimorphism. Sexual dimorphism. Okay, who, That's hot. Who, who got that one right? <laughs> it appears. I got it right. Cal's <laughs> I read that not only do do it seems like um from the skeletal remains, do Neanderthals did not have as extreme a form of sexual dimorphism as hominids, or not, they were hominids as Homo sapien, but they their skeletal remains exhibit the same suites of injuries from what anthropologists call a confrontational style of hunting. And that it seems that the women were mixing it up with the men in big game hunting. A suite of injuries that is reminiscent of what you see on professional bull riders. They noted. It was a good book. I read all that out of. Okay. All right. We we have, no, we have Corinne pitching a perfect game. That's the tidbit. Three for three. Oh, really? Yeah, but she's disqualified because no chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> Brody, did you get that one or not? He got it. He got I saw it. it. Okay. It's only an honorable man. Are we caught up, Phil? We're caught up. Question four. Is fishing. The 51st Bassmaster Classic, which is the Super Bowl of bass fishing, just wrapped up in June. The annual tournament oh. features some of the world's most famous anglers on some of America's premier bass lakes and rivers. You need to name one body of water the Bassmaster Classic has been held on. Has been held on? Yes. You, any of the 51 events, you need to name one of those lakes or rivers or impoundments that the Classic has been held on. Do I have to spell it right? No. I'm right there. I think we're right down the same lakes. Dude. Now, this is going to take me a minute to check all of your answers because you have about 40 options. The lake is, or the, the, uh, the tournament has been held on some, some duplicates at some point. So you'll have to bear with us I'm fine. when we reveal. I'm fine. I see Garrett still writing. Uh, He's uh, nervous. Lake macro fructation. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Steve, you go first. What do we got? Okeechobee. Um, I don't. I don't know if that's one of them. Oh, come on. Because you spelled it so wrong, I can't. <laughs> mm. Did you write it this way, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Lake of, Lake of Florida? Lake O. That's oh, Brody's got the same answer, but he probably spelled it better. Okay, I do well, not I, I, I do not see Okeechobee on here. Ow, so that, that eliminates a few of you. Tucker, what is your answer? Kind of takes the Lake master Lanier. out of there. I'm sorry, say it again. Lake Lanier. How do you spell the Lanier? I think it's L-A-N-I-E-R. 
in Georgia? That is not one of them. What? Whoa, Come on geez. now. Garrett. I don't think. I think you're Garrett. listening. I feel like I'm just, I don't even want to show my board here. Uh, but I don't, I don't even know if there's bass in there. Lake Michigan is correct. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't even know if there's bass in it. He's like, oh, it's a large lake. In the, He's like, just like, a large in lake. In the I don't year know. 2000, they held the Bassmaster Classic. On Lake Michigan, that Wood Davies won with 27 pounds. Seth, what do you got? Lake Fork. He likes bass tournaments. That is not one of the lakes. Really? 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 What is this I tournament? Don't buy your I know, list. I know, I know for a fact Lake Fork was on a stop on the series this year. Yeah, not the not Bassmaster Classic. Classic. Not though. the Classic. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what is? Oh, uh, that's the deal. What you have, Crin? Like what fake answer? I had, I had three question marks. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Hmm. So, Garrett, the person who have you caught bass? Like, right? Have you caught bass before? Yeah, I do it quite a lot around okay. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good at it. <laughs> Is the one person Sean's that got here? it right? Yeah, fly rod mainly. He's so, he's yeah. he's lying. Like I bad. know this year it was held in Florida, but I I forget the body water name. Or not Florida, Texas. It was in Texas. Oh, I know what lake, but I don't. Ray, Ray Roberts. Ray Roberts. Ray Roberts. Oh. Couldn't think of it. Okay. You got a tidbit or no? <laughs> That's it. No. I think part of your signature deal should be a little tidbit. Yeah? Yeah. Well, the tidbit was telling Garrett that it was held in 2000 oh, and, and Wade Davies won it with 27 pounds. Yeah. All right. Question five. We no longer have a perfect game from Corinne. The topic is biology. What is the color of spider blood? Oh, my God. It's Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the whole question. What is the color of spider blood? Is it different? Oh, you probably can't give me a hint. Is it different inside and outside the body? Yeah, because, right, exactly. I was just thinking that exact same, because, I mean, who hasn't squashed a spider? Move to disqualify. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I like the way you think. That's very smart. What is the color of spider blood? Does everyone have an answer? Yeah, Hold on, I'm changing mine. Uh oh. Because you're not going to answer that, I thought, I'm not very gonna relevant answer, question. I'm not going to answer anything. <laughs> no help to us, Tiger. This could be an overthinking, underthinking situation. I don't know. Oh, what are you doing? You reveal your answers. The correct answer is blue. Son of a bitch. Which, who That's got it? Cal. Cal got it. Yeah. That's Tucker, how you spell your blue, answer? Steve. <laughs> no, I. No. Is that only Cal on that one? It is because I gotta go smash a spider. <laughs> it is he's because fact check you. He's gonna go over to the corner of the room and fact check you. <laughs> Their blood has an atom of copper instead of iron, like most animals. They share this trait with snails and octopi. That was a good tidbit. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Very good tidbit. Mm-hmm. Okay, got a halftime roundup here. We have Corinne and Cal tied for first with three. Brody Garrett tied for second. Oh, and Tucker tied for second. And then we've got Steve and Seth rounding out last with one. Uh, wow, these are hard. Uh, Dude, I'm so depressed. Man. Now, out of all the hot tips that we're getting out of these, I'm thinking uh, Wade Davies and the weight of the bass is probably the one that's going to come in least handy. Yeah. Yep. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better. 
because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. This is an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless. With Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Question six, we're back to the topic of conservation. Before becoming president, Teddy Roosevelt had held titles such as minority leader of the state assembly, president of the police commissioners, and governor in what state? Teddy Roosevelt. Titles such as minority leader of the state assembly, President of the police commissioners and governor in what state? We have a very confident Tucker Carlson. 
Well, that so that's far. That but wouldn't it be where he's from? Very. Uh-huh. How about this? He Teddy Roosevelt introduced what caliber of sidearm to the police department that he oversaw? Yeah, Spencer. I don't know. Spencer's got zero. 30, 32. Long. <laughs> and he did it so they would kill fewer criminals. Yeah. True story. Really? That yep. needs to go in our That's a good tidbit. Game. Good tidbit. Does so everyone have an answer? Yeah, but I don't like mine. Reveal your answers. The correct answer is New York. Oh, I got it. Which <laughs> everybody but Garrett. Damn. Everybody but Garrett. What'd you put down, Garrett? North Dakota? Uh, I didn't put down Montana, uh, Rhode Island. Why? It just seemed like geographically, like in a like a place you'd govern yeah. out yeah. east somewhere. Yeah. It's like just in the east. <laughs> <laughs> we have a fun article on TheMedia.com talking about Teddy. How uh, during when he while he held those roles, he really loved boxing, and there was a moment where he got hit so hard by an intern that it made him blind in one eye. I heard that story. Yeah. And then he kept doing it all the way through the White House, but somebody told him that it was, like, unbecoming of a president to be walking around with black eyes and cuts on his faces. So he gave it up for a little bit. Hmm. Question seven. That was a good tidbit. We are on public lands. What is the deepest lake in America? What is the deepest lake in America? Saw some fast riding so far. I see some erasing as well. Man-made. I see no writing by Steve. Man-made. So far. <laughs> Man-made. I'm not going to give a hint. Uh-oh, I see a third round of writing from Cal. Yeah, this is getting intense. <laughs> Wants a $100 donation. Is it in Oregon? <laughs> I am not giving any hints. I see everybody ready, but Steve. I, I, I honestly don't have an answer. Just come up with an answer. That's not superior, but I'll write that down. <laughs> All right. Everybody there's, reveal there's your answers. There, right? The correct oh, answer that's what I'll is Crater Lake. I knew what are you that? Crater Lake. Uh-oh, oh, he's rewriting. Oh, no. no, no, no. <laughs> that's what I was trying to think of, though. Oh, so who got it right? We had Seth and Brody oh, and okay. Cal. <laughs> Garrett? Ah! Tucker? No, I, no, I got it wrong, but no. I knew but I knew the answer. Yeah, but I could, it is saw, located in Oregon. That's you see what I'm saying? And it is Put me down for 0. 0.5. Yeah. <laughs> Put me down for 0. 0.5. It is 1,949 feet deep. And while it wow. is the deepest lake in the USA, it is not the deepest lake in North America. That title is held by the Great Slave Lake in the Northwest Territories of Canada. That lake is 2,010 feet deep, really? or about 60 feet deeper than Crater Lake. Wow. You fished that one yet, Tucker? I have. Have you? Small, it's smallmouth. Like, That's on my have, list. I want really? To it's got to yeah. be like gin clear, right? Yeah. Uh, no. No? I was there in bad weather. So. Hmm. Tons of shoreline. Looks awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Cool lake to creep on on X for no reason. Yeah. All right. We are on to question eight. How many are there? There's 10 questions, okay. so we're coming off at the end. One of the most Googled firearms question is what is better between the 270 Winchester and the 30-06 Springfield? We aimed at answering this question in a recent article in Media.com called Caliber Battle 270 Winchester versus 30-06 Springfield. If you want that answer, you're going to have to go to the Media.com to see the winner. Jordan Sillers did a great job of breaking down the two cartridges and declaring a winner. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Did you, you interview Yanni website. for that? No. Okay. 
Your question is, what does the OT6 stand for in the name 30-06 Springfield? We have a confident Steve and a confident Tucker. Extraordinarily confident. (laughs) Confident Cal. Confident everybody but Garrett, who is our gun guy. (laughs) Don't call him the gun guy. He's he's a he's a he's a he's a competitive shooter. Yeah, he's a solvent. He doesn't drip his solvent. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) His garage floor is clean. He's got that deep pile rug in his garage. (laughs) Not a drop on it. So, but but before you give the answer, what Mm -hmm. was the answer to the predicate question? Like, what is? Superior. I, I can't. He can't tell you. He's trying to drive you. traffic. You need to go to the media.com. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to drive traffic. I was assume right. the 270, right? Because it's a newer cartridge. You you need to go to the media.com and read Jordan Steeler's article from July 21. Yeah, it's like it's subjective, but grounded. He does as good a job of breaking the two down as anybody. Yes, could. but the ultimate thing is subjective. Yes, yet grounded. Yes, I'd go. This question is myself. not subjective. Everyone, reveal your answers. The answer is. The odd six refers to 1906, the year the cartridge was adopted. I think we should give it to Seth, who wrote Year Made. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Everybody got it. Unless you well thought done. it was 2006. Yeah, oh, no. No, I wrote... I always that question. <laughs> what did you write? I, I wrote... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I wrote <laughs> 06... Because the way you formatted your question, you said, what does odd six stand for? Oh. That's what I did, too. Oh. Yeah. The 30... I thought you were trying to be tricky there no, no, with no. your last statement. The 30 refers to the caliber of the bullet in inches, while the 06 stands for 1906, the year the cartridge was adopted. That was question eight. We're on to question nine. What is the score, Phil? We have Cal with six points in first place. Really? Followed closely by Brody with five, Tucker with four, and then Corinne with th- and Steve with three. Oh, uh, oh! Seth's got four as well. Did I say that? And Garrett has two. Beforehand, I thought it would take him six to win this, and we have two questions left, so you guys are on a good pace. I'm, I'm, I've gone from wanting to win to just not wanting to be last place. <laughs> Which is the mark of a good game. we got a good competition here. I'm in the same boat. Question nine. The category is wildlife management. The two most common types of tracking collars that biologists use on animals are GPS and VHF. GPS, of course, stands for Global Positioning System. What does VHF stand for? Oh, that's a good one. It is a good one. The two primary colors are GPS and VHF. GPS is Global Positioning System. What does VHF stand for? V is in Venus. This is the hardest I've seen the room think yet. Because it's knowable. Yeah, it's like a yeah. thing. It feels like one of those things you should know. Right. Yeah. Cal, the front runner, is thinking especially hard. Those brows are very furrowed. I've I've strapped these onto animals. Oh. oh. And so it's killing me that I don't. That's going to be embarrassing. Hundred percent confident here. Does everyone have an answer? Reveal your answers. <laughs> I'm not seeing correct. One oh, yet. I think that's right. Right. Very oh, no. I, I very high frequency. That is correct. Very high. Very, very high, high frequency. 
That is right. Oh, you're right Cal. Very high frequency. Very yeah. high frequency. Man, it's as literal as you can get. That's right. Yeah. Like, so they're, Tucker, like, they're like, how high? Very high. It's a very high frequency. <laughs> Tucker is the only one that got that one right. VHF collars work by sending out a radio signal that allows biologists to physically locate the animal by using a receiver and directional antenna. They only cost about $350, while a GPS collar can cost anywhere from $800 to $3,000. Good tidbit. Thank you. Very high frequency. Very high frequency. That's great. There were huh. some close answers. I saw a few of you had like the very, some people had the frequencies. Uh, Tucker was the only one to put it all together. There, You can't buy them right now. No? I imagine COVID? chips like Top anything else. I don't else know. I just got a couple new dogs and, and I want collars for me and you, you can't get them. We're on the last question. Phil, is it close? Uh, Cal, well, the only way... Cal can Cal can't lose, but he can tie for first. Cal I do have has, a tiebreaker oh, question tie in breaker. case we need to go. In to America, it. we don't tie, Phil. <laughs> That's <laughs> soccer stuff. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I liked you. Cal has six. Brody do, do and we need to go over this. Just we already did that. Brody and Tucker. <laughs> Brody and just Tucker. Just give us who's in the lead. Don't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't like just drag people through the dirt, dude. <laughs> Brody and Tucker are tied for second, and Seth is in third with. Four. Yeah, like, you know, when the Olympics are coming up and they get to, like, gold, right? They don't go, like, gold, silver, bronze, <laughs> and then keep going. Oh, yeah. The, the, the last place person, to remind everyone, you know, the just, let's focus on there. the winners. Let's focus on the winners. A lot of bitterness in this room Not right focus now. on losers. <laughs> Question 10. The topic is whitetails. The most popular state mammal is the white-tailed deer. In fact, there are 12 states that recognize the whitetail as their state mammal. Name one of them. Oh my, really? 12 states, name one of the states that recognize the whitetail as their official state mammal. This is for all the marbles, and I don't see Cal looking confident. It ain't Arizona. <laughs> Garrett, don't put Arizona yeah, down. No, I don't have Arizona. Oh, my God. oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'll have to keep people up to speed. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Does everybody have an answer? Reveal your answers. I will list off the correct answers. You can tell us if you're right. Wisconsin, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Ohio, New Hampshire, Nebraska, Mississippi, Michigan, Steve, Illinois, Georgia, and Arkansas. Oh, uh, Tucker got it wrong. I certainly did. I was going to put Kansas. You put, a, you put a very logical answer, though. But of course, it's the steer, right? I just yeah. it's the long oh, it, oh, okay. I just realized. So we had we had everybody get it right except Tucker and Cal. Oh, Cal missed it. So, so we have a tie. We have Brody a tie. Break. Cal. Okay, yeah, I missed. Oh I, I said Louisiana. Okay, which the, I don't know what the state mammal for Louisiana would be. So in our first ever time playing trivia, we are going to a tiebreaker. They both got what? Seven, correct? Six. Six, okay. So I'm out. Wow, you kind of fell behind there, Cal. Are you you (laughs) kind of choked? Seth's out. Yeah, I missed the last two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you all can participate in the tiebreaker, but the only answers that matter are Brody and Cal. Your question is, in the number of days, how long is the gestation period of an elk? The closest will be the winner. Ooh. Oh, this goes very well into our heated conversation last night. <laughs> um, there's there's a good play on words right there. Yeah. Would, Steve, oh, yeah. Steve, fill oh, the that audience in. That was good. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. 
So, Steve, fill the audience in on what the conversation was last night between Cal and Brody while they Cal think about and Brody got in a fight so games. bad. We were out <laughs> celebrating the launch of uh, Mediators Campfire Stories Close Calls, and we were celebrating the launch mm-hmm. at a restaurant, and so everybody that was involved in that project was there, and Cal and Brody got into a fight so bad that it made other people at the table uncomfortable. The number of of days, those people get uncomfortable around people anyway. The number of days. A little bit hard to track. It had to do with that Montana now has a Montana now has a primitive they now have a flintlock season, which will be tacked on to the end of the general season. Brody, are you one of those folks that uh, knows how many days are in each month? Because I just kind of guessed. Well, I, I guess too. All right. The correct answer. Brody, this, Brody's still in the 270 caliber battle. <laughs> <I was about laughs> to say. The correct <laughs> answer. He's like, right I don't know why 270 keeps coming to my mind. It's 245, Brody, making Brody oh. the winner with the answer of 270. Man. That, that number comes from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. So take it up with them, Cal, who was very wrong. Oh, no, no, no. What, what I'm. Cal, uh, you, you. My math skills is what failed there. Cal, not, you have an argument. You could like have made an argument. They pop out in June, they get inseminated in September. Cal, you could have made so. an argument that I went over. No. Oh, he didn't say that. Overcooked your kids? No, no, no. You know, like a lot of stuff, you can do it like prices right without going over. Yeah, yeah. Prices right rules. We're not doing, but he didn't say that. Well done, Brody. That was great, Spencer. Wonderful job. Job. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Very nice. Now, Brody, tell us who you're going to donate your one hundred dollars to. Ah, let's keep it in the family and do TRCP. Hey, all right. All right. Uh. Tucker Carlson, what? Um, you're here to go fishing. I am, and you live in Maine. Yep. Tell us about that. About how Maine? You were te- you explained oh. Maine kind of dries up. You bail on Maine. Oh, as a fishing matter, yeah. yeah. So we live in the Western Mountains in Maine, at the top of the Appalachian chain uh, in the United States, and um, really pretty area. Great fishing, biggest brook trout in uh, the United States. Been there my whole life, and we have landlocked salmon too throughout the watershed. And they're great, great little game fish, and uh, but it gets hot, mm-hmm. and so um, we have a lot of still water fishing, a lot of lake fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I fly fish, so that's a problem because obviously, you know, casting lead cores it loses its appeal. You like being in moving water, for sure. Yeah. I fish rivers mostly. There's about a maybe three week period where I live on a lake where we get um, rising trout and salmon. And, you know, you just kill it for that period. But I, you know, stripping scuds on sinking line, just, I'm not that into it. So, but anyway, as the summer gets warm, uh, I always come out West to this state to fish every, you know, every year without fail. And I have a lot of kids and. Yeah. How many kids you got? Four. And you got a kid coming out to fish with you. Yeah. And so various kids will meet me out here and we just get in the truck and drive around and stay in motels and fish. What are the age ranges? My oldest is 26, oh, second wow. is 24, who was an outstanding fly caster, like one of the best, just a natural and a really good shot. My third is 22, and my fourth is 18. And they're all into the outdoors, were raised that way, and but they have varying degrees of enthusiasm for fly fishing. Two out of four really are, are into it. That's so, not bad. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, considering... You know, how difficult it is to get a kid to learn to cast a fly rod is very difficult. 
And you, you, were you saying you just t- recently turned 50? I'm 52. Oh, 52. I'm really old. But my my son, who's a who's a really superior fly caster, much better than I am, um, you know, you, you have to make them. You have to make them. So you start them all on spitting rods, obviously, you know, throwing the daredevil on a whatever bait caster or spinning rod or whatever. And then at about when he was nine, I just switched him over to an eight weight because it's just easier to load it. Yeah. And uh, he really hated it, like a lot, because his catch rate went to zero. And I was just a complete fascist about it. You mean coming it. after throwing spinners? Yeah, if you're throwing a daredevil yeah. in the Androscoggin River, like you're going to hook up for sure. Well, I started all my kids on night crawlers. Yeah, well, we, I never Which did. makes it even worse. I never did because that's immoral, so I didn't do that. But, <laughs> um, but uh, no bait fishing. But anyway, but I made him take up the fly rod and he deeply resented it. And I've had a pretty lazy, fair attitude with my kids about most things. You know, you get to choose your political beliefs or whatever. You know, I'm not into forcing my beliefs on my kids, except for a couple of things. And one of them was, you know, you have to be able to competently cast. And this one kid, it's like, <laughs> and it's it sounds like, like not debatable. <laughs> well, because no one else is going to teach him. You, you know what I mean? That's like your duty as a father. And you got to, you know, I, I like wing shooting, so that too. But anyway, this one kid really hated it. And stared at me in this resentful, almost edible way, like I want to, I want to kill you. And but I kept at it, and it was it was such a great victory because he he really became huh. talented and learned to love it. So I fish with him a lot, and uh, but now I'm fishing with one of my girls. Are you a camp com- guy? You're you're in Maine. You have a camp, right? We have a camp. How'd you know that? Because that's like so Maine culture. You go out for a paddle, <laughs> and you go to the camp. Yep. Every every house in Maine in the woods is a camp. And then we, we have a camp, which is the our family house where uh, we grew up. And then we have a fish. We have another camp, which is off grid, just a cabins on a river. And that's the fishing camp. That's the fishing camp. Got it. Though we fish at both. At both, but we have a, a, a like fully off, you know, no electricity or running water place, which is great. And probably do your kids favorite. like going to the camp? Oh, they're obsessed. Yeah, they love it. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you can. We shoot a lot, and you know, you can shoot off the porch and swim in the river and the fishing for a couple of months is pretty great. It, it, it turns up again in September. Uh, we're mostly for brook trout and the brook trout really don't let any water over 70. They're not into it at all. So they mm. find the springs or they just kind of disappear, but they come back in September. So, you know, most of August it's shooting heavy on the Tannerite, you know, mm-hmm. 308 into Tannerite. That, that, that's how we clear the woods. Put a smile on and, any kid's face. Yeah, and the yeah. forest in Maine is very different from the forest out here. I mean, it's like a rainforest. That's, I mean, we get so much precipitation. And, you know, white pines dominate, of course, that the whole point of Maine is the, the eastern white pine. But we get a ton of spruce and fir and cedar and a lot of other things. But mostly spruce and fir just, like, just pop up, like, you know, like mm-hmm. 5 o'clock shadow. They're just everywhere. So, you know, there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's, you know, you, you have to cut basically, if it's your land. And so we try to use tannerite to do that because it's just so much more fun. Oh, that's how you chop them down. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we we use chainsaws typically, but tannerite is fun. You know, uh, did you guys see that the, you know, the, the, the story of the couple that had a gender reveal party for a yeah. baby? And <laughs> burn the, burn the forest yeah, down? Yeah, I just saw it. Just, I saw on the news this morning that they were, they were being charged for the death of a firefighter. Yeah, yeah. Crew, crew lead died There's a on big these. fire. Yeah. 30 felonies or something they got charged with. It was some really? rid- it was some ridiculous number like that. Oh. Yeah. It's pretty hard to set the forest in Maine on fire. It's really wet. Yeah, I can picture that's the upside it's too. It's it's a little more like Oregon than it is Montana. And and this is this is north north like the big north woods. 
this is at, right? Western Maine, which is the mountainous part of Maine. So a lot of Maine, actually, Northern Maine is flat. Coastal Maine is rocky and really don't have that many evergreens. Um, the mountains of Western Maine, so sort of maybe two hours above Portland, and then it's all paper company land up to the Canadian border. That's so less really, like pond, swamp country, more well, there's moving swamps stream. all over Maine, which is like the downside. That yeah, just an insane managed. amount of water. Insane yeah. amount of water, an insane amount of swamps, and you know, depending on the year, the ticks are just ridiculous. And you have to be happy, you know, comfortable with mosquitoes and blackflies, which I am. I've just totally zenned out, and I don't even care. Um, but the ticks, some years are really bad. In fact, it was last year. We, the estimate was we lost half of all yearling moose to blood loss from ticks. No kidding. Oh, it's in, it's real. It's totally intense. This year, I mean, I, I'm in the woods every day and six, eight ticks. And I, I mean, I haven't worn shorts a single day. I got to Maine on June 10th. I haven't worn shorts a single day. Not Cause one, of that. Not one. What is, don't wear shorts in Maine. Cause that's like, yeah, you don't yeah. do that the, where uh, we live. And it, I still get six or eight ticks every day. Is Mortality it, oh, on that moose study. Uh, they were averaging a little over 47,000 ticks on each calf moose, which have you, equates have you ever to- seen a, it? I have not seen it in person, but it's over 20 pounds of ticks. If you can imagine hmm. that. It's so, well, I mean, it's disgusting, obviously, like beyond, it's like the most repulsive thing you've ever seen, but it's also just a tragedy. You see it and you just feel so sorry. Moose are a big thing where we live. I hit one two years ago, totally destroyed my truck. I hit a bull moose going 70 and it just totaled a full-size Silverado on them. So they're kind of a threat. They kill dogs. Moose are the, like the only thing in the main woods that will hurt you. So you kind of have ambivalent feelings about moose. But when you see the ticks on them, you really have sympathy because it's just, and that's why they're in the swamps all day. You know, they're missing huge patches of fur and the clusters of ticks are just like, hmm, never seen anything like it. Ticks the size of your thumb. Thousands of them. Just engorged with blood. Engorged. Yeah. The poor animals, you know. Is it widely known that you uh, produce, that you like do your show from not Manhattan? That you like do know. your show from Maine? I don't know that it is. Um, I had a- there I was... remember being like, really? When I found that out. I didn't know you could pull that off. Oh, yeah. And it's- There's got to be people who are like, well, I'm going to do that too. When people should. I mean, it. you know, some people really like cities. I, I emphatically don't. I don't see the upside. I have really strong feelings about it. I try not to express them because there are a lot of great people who live in cities and I don't want to alienate them. It's like golf. I don't, you know, I don't golf, but I don't attack golf. Oh, I do. Even though it's not my <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> well, in my heart I do, but I don't, I don't say that out loud. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not attacking cities, but I just, I don't care to live that Spence way. Spencer likes to golf. At all. It's, and I'm sure he's a nice person. He seems like a nice person. Oh, you know, uh, you know, I was going to ask you about, see that, Look, show him, show him your arm, Spencer. Spencer got this, oh, I st- love this that. new tree. Now he could have planted a thousand trees for what it cost him to get that tree. <laughs> you like trees? On his arm. Do you have, yeah, I was going to ask you. Do you have tattoos? We've been arguing about tattoos lately. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say, I, I was in Jacksonville in 1987, drunk, and I did wind up with a couple. And of them. you did or didn't wind I up? I did. With yeah. I mean, it was the 80s, and I drank a lot. I no longer drink or go to Jacksonville, so I'm fine now. But I do, <laughs> I do love trees, and I and I love that. And then, and then you spend part of your year working out of Florida. Yeah. So do you pack up the whole operation and everybody goes with you? Yeah. 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 Do they look forward to that part of the year? Yeah, we, we live, I mean, I, I really care about the outdoors and that's why I'm here. And, uh, and so, yeah, we live on the West coast of Florida. Um, on one of the barrier islands where, you know, tarpon fishing is, a 
is kind of the center of the it's the reason it's the reason the town is you're into that yeah i like tarpon honestly i don't i like tarpon fishing i live in like the world's capital tarpon fishing but i really like snook and and redfish snook mostly so all winter i fish for snook on a fly and you know you can catch one snook after the other in the mangroves but to catch a 40 inch snook on a fly is is definitely something you need to dedicate years to doing. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I think it's actually harder than tarpon fishing. Tarpon fishing on a fly is heavily luck related. So I, I tarpon. You're Callahan? I yes, do, sir. I do yep. think that. I mean, it's just. He just a, hasn't had luck. It's a, oh, have yeah. you tried on a fly for tarpon? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You've Love pulled it. it off by now though, haven't you? Oh yeah. No, okay. I've got, I've got a, a handful, but I, it is. I think I knew you win. Uh, like, you know, my, my buddies that are guides and do it all the yeah, time, yeah. like they definitely have this, oh, it happens or it doesn't. That's, and there's no more thought that process is that totally goes into it. totally true. You have yep. to be able to get the fly to them. It's very quick reaction. It's not casting, obviously, to trout or even to snook where you, you know, you're sight fishing, you're thinking, okay, lead them. That's, it's just right. a pure reaction. I fish with a, actually a one-piece nine weight because I don't like nice. casting the big, uh, the one-piece don't blow up. And that's why I do it. So I, I use a lighter rod for it. Okay, well, explain what you mean when you say blow up. Well, your rod will shatter. Oh, you mean blow up like break? Well, these are big fish. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Have but, you have you got one of those uh, Mako reels? No, I. <laughs> those things are insane. <laughs> you know, it's so Un- funny. I caught one tarpon this spring because I go to Maine pretty early. So tarpon season where I live starts. Well, it kind of depends on the year. Last year it started. I caught a tarpon in March. This year it was a little bit later, maybe mid-April. And I fished throughout April and early May. And my last day in Florida, I caught a tarpon, my first cast, maybe 120 pound tarpon. Really? And huh. my rod, my son was using my rod. So it was, I borrowed a friend's rod and the reel was broken. And it it just immediately, I mean, they just, well, you know, you've caught them. You know, it's it's almost a chore to catch them. You, well, that's why people snap them off. It's like, oh, I caught the tarpon, great, good for me. But you don't want to actually get them to the boat because right. it's really intense. But this thing took off and the reel hit my thumb and I couldn't use my hand. It was it was absolutely awful. So that's like the one kind of fishing. I, I fish a lot. I fish every day. And that's the only kind of fishing where I think the reel matters. Oh. I mean, even with snook. I mean, I never put a fish on the reel. Ever. I, I I'm was happy just to laughing. take car fish. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people take more time to land a, a trout fly fishing trying to get it on the reel and mess around. No. Then I've seen, I've seen like pro tarpon people land tarpon with proper rod mechanics, proper reel mechanics in less time than I've seen sloppy trout fishermen. It's totally trout. right. Like Andy Miller. Yeah. So it was like someone who's great. The guy I fished with, Austin Ladder is actually from Montana. Can, I mean, he can muscle 150 pound tarpon to the boat in like six minutes. But for a normal person like me who fishes a lot, but is not a guide, I mean, it'd take 25 minutes to get the fish to the boat. And in fact, last year I caught a fish that was big enough and it was a nasty enough fight that I, I actually took a nap in the boat. That's how old I am. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, just, it just wore me right out. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, what's uh, what, how does snook fishing work? Snook fishing is the like, best. How do you guys go about it? You just get out in a flats boat. Actually, I do it. I like to fish on foot for trout too. Mm-hmm. I really don't like fishing from a boat. I never do float trips, for example. Yep. I just, I'm not into it. I'm not into bobber fishing in general. Uh, but I like to walk. And oh, I like get some nice long drifts though, man. You do. Like a I'm, mile, you know. To be honest, <laughs> my, my snobbery is based on my lack of skill. So my son actually does a lot of indicator fishing and he's like, you're an idiot. Mm. For trout, I do a lot of swinging wet flies. I tie okay. a lot and I tie for myself and my son and a couple of other people. So I'm, I've got all these like super strong theories about trout flies. So you're like a purist, man. 
I don't know if I'm a purist. I love to tie flies yeah. and I always have. And I love wet flies and I love main featherweight streamers are the two things really that I spend most time tying. Anyway, whatever. So that anyone you know who ties, just ask him what you tie affects how you fish. Okay. So if you're like super into tying hoppers, you know, you're you're throwing hoppers early season, even when there aren't any hoppers, because you tied it and you've like oh, spent all winter thinking about how the fish are reacting. Oh shit, it's purple this year or whatever. You know what I mean? So like anyway, I don't do a lot of bobber fishing. I mostly do walk-up fishing. I just like walking along rivers and streams. Um, so for snook, you know, you get out. We have a, a lot of mangrove islands where we live. So I just get out. I always wade barefoot. There's really nothing that'll, you know, if you're sort of awake, you're not going to step on a ray. You're fine. Mm -hmm. And and I try to, you know, s you see the snook. And then you try and, and that's so sight fishing. Like, you're like hole. stalking along the edges of mangrove islands. Oh, yeah. Looking for the wake or... Absolutely. Yeah. And it's skinny water. Very, very. I mean, I have a flats boat. I have, which actually sank, you know, tarpon. My son's, I bought a, a Hell's Bay and I'm cheap. So I bought an old one and it had a bait well. Now, why a Hell's Bay would have a bait well since almost, I've never heard of someone using a Hell's Bay to bait fish, but whatever. It had a bait well in it and the valve in the bait well was bad. And the boat literally sank the second week of May off an island in Charlotte Harbor as we were fishing with my son in it. And it cost me a huge amount of money to get it back. To get it salvaged, yeah. It, have you ever done that? You're no, supposed to I buy mean, insurance for it, which I never do because I know like, that you why would give, I buy insurance? You, you can't, it's, it can be legally dicey to walk away from them, I've heard. Dude, buy the insurance. I think it's 50 bucks a year. It was like $6,000 to get the boat huh. towed back to the marina. It was insane. It was insane. I'm still mad about it. But whatever. Anyway, the point is um, I like to fish on foot. Very, very much. And I and I do think your catch rate goes down. I mean, obviously the most efficient way to fish is to have someone pull you, mm -hmm. stand on the platform at the front, hold your fly, you know, wait to see the fish, draw it across his nose, you know, whatever. But I fish by myself a lot. So um, I'm happy to catch fewer, at this age, I mean, I'm so freaking old that I'm happy to, and I've caught a lot of fish, so I'm, I'm happy to catch fewer fish, but be more fully immersed in. And is the is the mark the over 40 inches? It is for me. I mean, you know, anyone who fishes a lot winds up in your head kind of. And so in my head, 40 inches is like, holy shit, that's a snook. And and a 40 inch snook for some reason, snook are one of those weird fish where I think to get to that size, there's just like four standard deviations of intelligence higher. Mm. So it's pretty easy to fool like a 28 inch snook, just one after the other after the other. If you can, you know, I, I tie a, an Enrico Puglisi bait fish that I think is pretty compelling to snook. So um, I feel like I can do pretty well. But to catch a 40 and to fool a snook that big. He's just been duped too many times. I think so. Yeah. And I think so. And I just think it's just hard to get that big. And I just know from my catch rate, I've caught very few, like five in my life. And I fished a lot in the same place. That's the other thing. I fish in the same places. So I know, I know the places pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, at a certain point, you kind of know the water. And... Um, I've caught very few snook that big. So I think that's the most exciting. I love tailing redfish. We've got some environmental problems where I live with the red tide, and I think it's really affected the redfish a lot. Yeah. It's very upsetting. That's uh, having to do with how they're draining water off Okeechobee, right? Like I think it has to do with the golf water. courses. I mean, it's like there are a lot of theories about it. I mean, I could bore you for hours. I won't. But uh, there are a lot of theories on it. I've actually got so upset about it. We did a couple shows on it on Fox. I'm not sure anyone was interested except me, but... Um, I am interested. Well, I mean, it's awesome that you get to use your platform that water way. Water quality right? matters. Like all the, you know, all these people, I'm yes. an environmentalist. Really? 
Really? Well, then why aren't you upset about the water quality in South Florida? Like, and why is yes. this happening? Is is it, it's uh, clearly it's phosphates from development and golf courses. It's the cutting of the mangroves along the yeah, water line, obviously. Yeah, it is line, a multi-pronged thing, like everything And it's in the Army Corps yeah. dicking with the drainage. You know, it's often the Army, and no offense, I'm not against the Army Corps, and I think they do, you know, good stuff yeah, in yeah. a lot of places, but boy, they... They use blunt instruments. We had someone on the show that did. We had someone on the show. We we recorded in Florida. Wish I wish we could find that episode. It was someone who's like. They took a remember we had them on. They did kind of like a historic approach on it. Got into that big flood in the twenties that killed everybody. And yes, the, we, that's right. And then everybody's like, okay, so that's not going to happen again. And that's then right. we like overcorrected. And, it's, that's exactly yeah, what yeah. that's and that's exactly right. And and you know the Army Corps' job is not to make certain the water quality is good enough to sustain a robust fishery. That's kind of not what they're thinking. Oh, yeah, at they, the time they, it was like, you know, hundreds of people got killed. That's exactly right. Yeah, and right. Florida has a lot of water-related drama. There's yeah. just a lot of water in Florida, and it's complex. But, you know, I've seen them do this a couple of times. There was a hurricane up in northern New England where we live, what, maybe 15 years ago? I can't, I can't really remember, but about 15 years ago. And they had massive flooding in Vermont. And Vermont had all these, you know, pretty blue lines of, small bore trout streams that are just, and I like small stream fishing very much. You know, you get your cane three weight and go, you know what I mean? Like throw for brookies. And the Army Corps came in and basically paved all the streams. Mm. I'm overstating that slightly, but they, they're just like, well, we have a problem with these streams are flooding the towns and we're oh. just going to take all the obstructions out. What? Gaia. So that, you know, you, you bring earth moving equipment into a, into a stream, really? Yeah. And flatten it out? Because just so it ran off slicker. Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So really, I'm not attacking them. I think they're probably a lot of good people, the Army Corps of Engineers, but they're they're not thinking about the effects on on the fishery. And that was distressing. Yeah, and they're tasked with the town floods, make it so the town exactly. doesn't flood. They're engineers. And you, but you just have to and by the way, I'm not I'm probably a little more on the Ted Kaczynski side of the equation, actually, when it comes to development. Actually, a lot more, if I'm being totally honest. Oh, he was a Montana guy for a while. <laughs> he was a Montana guy. He was a Montana guy and and obviously a bad person who killed people, and I'm totally opposed to that. But also, you know, not a stupid person at all and a, and a very deep person and an interesting person with a lot of – anyway, whatever. Don't get me going. But um, I But I think, you know, people have a right to have houses and people want to live in pretty places and you can't stop all development. You should stop all strip malls and dollar stores, obviously. But you can't stop all development and people want to golf. I get it. So you've got competing imperatives and desires and it's a you know country of 350 million people. It can't just be about, you know, 52-year-old fly fishermen. Okay, I get it. <laughs> On the other hand, like the views of 52-year-old fly fishermen should also be represented. Yeah. I think. They should be. We should have Spencer on sometime just to talk about why he likes golf. <laughs> no, you should. Spencer's <laughs> golfing segment. Oh, uh, I think that's was that episode 107, Saving the Everglades. That sounds like a good Sam title for that show. No, we I Sam think, no, Saving I think, the Everglades. Was that the name of the show? Yeah. Yeah. They do. They did. I thought they did a very good job. We had a couple people, various uh, subject was matter that, uh, experts. Kelly Ralston, Matt Cook, you and Yanni in Fort Lauderdale. That's correct. Okay. Saving yep. the Everglades. Episode 107. Uh, did you learn? Did you? Uh, your dad got you started in fishing? Yeah. Yeah, because we was his dad into it. Uh, no, actually, my father was an orphan um, who spent his early life in an orphanage. So no, no way, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. The what ho- happened? The home for little wanderers in real name. Well, how, how what happened? How'd that go down? 
Well, he actually found out later his mother was just really, really young, like mid-teens. Uh-huh. And um, she was the Swedish girl and she got pregnant. And and so her parents made her put the baby up for adoption and wound up in this orphanage. So he he grew up in foster homes and an orphanage and then ultimately was adopted. You're kidding me. No. Huh. By, have, have you read your your dad's Wikipedia page. I've never read Wikipedia. Sing- I don't read a single word about myself or my family, not one time. Okay. Uh, the, uh, what you're saying like lines up with that page, but m- my impression of reading that was like, this is out of, uh, a movie. Like it, it the, it's a, it's a That's tragic on Wikipedia? tale. Yeah. It's a, it's a tragic tale. I hate that. The violations <laughs> of privacy are just like too extreme, you know? Yeah. You're a public figure. I know, but my family has nothing to do with it. I had yeah, no, that's a good point. Kind of this lunatic. Well, your dad's a historical person. Well, I my mean, dad's a great, the, yeah. a great man, and a and a and like a real outdoorsman, and and a really avid wing shooter, and and a, and a great guy. And but he was very intense about camping in the woods, and you know, bird hunting, and and dogs, especially. We always had always had bird dogs, a lot of them, and um, highly intense about it. So how how did he cuz that was that that wanted to be a result of his adoptive family. Honestly, I I don't really know because like the things that are closest to you you know the least about actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was yeah, like I never no, really I asked, but yeah. I think when he was little somebody brought him to a YMCA camp in Maine. And that had a huge effect. So then you know, he left high school joined the Marine Corps you know, didn't have credentials, but he's very smart. So he wound up in journalism because they'll take anybody and became a fairly prominent and successful reporter at the LA Times and ABC News in California. So we lived in California. I grew up in California and um, Southern California. And, but we had this camp in Maine because he was, he really felt it was important to eat baked beans and be cold. And he, you know, he's from New England. <laughs> I can dig it. And so we would spend the summers, we go from La Jolla, California, which has got to be one of the richest zip codes in the world. It's all on the beach and everyone surfs and everyone's mom like smokes weed at the breakfast table too. And then we'd spend the summer <laughs> in this beautiful, but totally impoverished mill town yeah. where they made clothespins. No exaggeration. That was the town business. They had a clothespin factory, which went out of business around 1980. And there was never kind of any employment since. And we've been in that town our whole lives. And it's just beautiful and they're great people, but it's very much a sporting culture. I mean, that's what, without getting boring in one sentence. So Maine, after the Civil War, Maine was an agricultural state. The Civil War happens you know, every other man in the entire state joins the Union Army. I think it had the highest enlistment rate of any state. They leave Maine for the first time and realize, wait a second, you can farm in places where there aren't granite boulders every four feet, Mm -hmm. and the growing season is longer than six weeks. So everyone moved to Ohio. So Maine had, I think, 10 million acres under cultivation in 1860. It now has a million acres. So the state went from like- Is that right? Yes. It went from being a state of farms to a state of of timberland, of paper company land. So it was bought up by the Pingree family of Massachusetts and a couple others. And the majority of the state to this day is owned by timber holding companies. So in exchange for owning the majority of the state, and there's very little public land in Maine, the paper company struck this deal where if you live in Maine, you can use paper company land. There's no sense of, it's the opposite of Montana and Wyoming, where you get shot for going on someone's land, Mm -hmm. especially Wyoming. In Maine, you can walk onto the land. It's like, there's an expectation. I can just hunt on your land. I can fish on your land. I can camp on your land. The only thing I can't do is cut the trees. So it's this- stands the reason. But it creates such an interesting culture because you have a state full of, like by national standards, very poor people 
who have amazing sporting opportunities for hunting and fishing. And we have a, this incredible, what, they reintroduced turkeys into Maine and they just went crazy. Obviously, moose and deer, ton, where I live, tons of bears, lots of, I saw a bear on my property last week. I thought it was, I thought it was a man. It was so, it was black bears, huge bears. And then we have trout and salmon. And then in the fall, uh, ruffled grouse, which, and woodcock. Ruffled grouse in Maine are called partridge for some reason. Yeah, I grew up, when, when I grew up, they would really? refer to them as Yeah, that. no uh, one calls them grouse, yeah. but they are. My dad would call them pats. Patridge. Patridge. Oh, yeah. No, they call him a pat. Yeah, yeah it's spelled P A A A R T. So you're just like, you know, if you're working part time in the woods, you know, cutting for the paper mill or you work at the dollar store, you know, you don't have any money, but I mean, you really have a lot of opportunity in a way that they don't have out west. Obviously, there's better fishing. In some ways, there's better hunting out west, but the access in Maine is just incredible for normal people. And it creates a really interesting culture where, you know, people who work at the mill fly fish. So like in the state of New York, for example, or, or you know, a lot of other places, Connecticut, the only people who fly fish are people who are rich, mm -hmm. you know, but in Maine, like poor people fly fish and then tie their own flies. And it's just, it's a really neat, it's a really neat sporting culture, I think. Corinne sent us a article um, from years ago where there was a thing in the Hollywood Reporter about some guy that decided to. You were fishing in Central Park. Yes, I was. And a guy was decided to make like a started to film you. Yeah. And you had to explain to him that it so was I, a okay. I had this gig where <laughs> I worked in New York on the weekends, so I I would never obviously live in New York because that's soul destroying. But I had a job there on the weekends, so I would go into New York and stay in a hotel for two nights by myself, which is just like hell. Well, you're on the road a lot, you know, it's mm. hell. And I just, I had to get outside. It was like, drive me freaking crazy. I can't, you know what I mean? So, so I, I would walk up to Central Park with my eight weight and try and catch bass <laughs> in the park. Do you see a lot of people fishing there? No, I've never seen a fly rod there. So I would do it every weekend. Mm -hmm. I'd get off work, I hosted a morning show, and then I'd walk up to the park and cast my stupid fly rod just to like feel better. And this guy comes up to me, he's filming me. And I thought, oh, I want to hit this guy. You know, it's such a violation of your privacy. Oh, like, sure. I'm yeah, fishing, yeah. please. You know, God, it's like someone filming you having sex. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is the private realm. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be seen doing this. And it turned out he worked for Howard Stern. And uh, he was fine. He actually later died of a heroin OD, weirdly, or maybe not so weirdly. But he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm fly fishing. And he said, fly fishing? What, he thought I meant like house flies. I was fishing with house flies. He goes, where do you catch the flies? This and is the I guy said, that worked with Howard Stern? Yeah. And I said, well, I don't, I was totally confused. But he's from New York, so like he doesn't know. You know, like he understands subway map. Like he's, you know, he's an, he was an idiot. And I said, no, I don't, no, I tie the flies. What do you mean you tie them? So I showed him my fly box, my stupid, you know, poppers. And I, at the time I had this theory about poppers where I was going to take sheet foam and make the popper out of pieces of sheet foam glued together ra rather than like doing them on a Dremel tool or whatever. I had this whole theory, like I'm going to create this new kind of popper or whatever. Very ugly poppers, but very effective. So I like showed him my box of poppers. You guys um, became regular buddies. Actually, I, I, I absolutely hated him. But once he <laughs> got the camera out, I was like, okay, don't be a dick. Try to be nice. And, and he didn't mean any harm. He was just dumb. 
and you had to show them the poppers because you never know who your first investor is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> right? My poppers like, were... Well, I got you. At that point, they were awful. I've, it's funny how much mental like, disk space I've like devoted to dumb questions like how to make the perfect foam popper. But actually, I'm not bragging. I've perfected it. You take a nail, like a three-penny nail, and you put it in a Dremel tool and you just slide the foam over it, and then you shape it with sandpaper. You oh, what was the, the Dremel? Oh, you, right? You put the nail in the Dremel tool. Yeah, you make, so basically, you're turning your Dremel into a lathe. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it is a You're turning it into a, like a tiny little lathe. Right. Um, and you could actually use like a jeweler's lathe for it, but this is just way easier. And you can, it's crazy what you can, I mean, do you ever fish with poppers? I have. I don't do a ton of fly fishing, to be frank, but uh, I have for sure. You can get really carried away with it. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Um, so I, I ha obviously I need help. Um, but I think the more. Do you tie hundreds of flies every year? Oh yeah, I tie a lot of flies. Yeah. Can we get no, a well, quick, I... quick popper jump aside here? This Please. is something I'm dying to ask you anyway. Yeah. Uh, your, your old man had a year-long stint as the ambassador to the Seychelles. Yeah. Did you get to go to one the Seychelles? This, one of the saddest things that ever happened, no. So I went to college. That's like the, if you're into throwing poppers for giant trevally. The, mm. the GT like, fishing is like the best in the world. It's it's the destination. That's why I went there for my honeymoon. What? I went there for my honeymoon. Shut yeah. shit. We went what? to all, yeah, we didn't do it right. We went to, the, we went all three major islands. We didn't go to any of the off islands. You know what I mean? We didn't yeah. go to like, but that, I didn't realize at the time, I kind of was half thinking that I would get it, I would throw it in. I didn't really, it's to go from, to go from the Seychelles to like the outer islands that are famous for fishing is about like getting from here to the Seychelles. I mean, it's like a whole thing. But in like a dangerous plane. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's not Pirates. like, you, you don't just like, like go talk to the guy down at the beach and have him buzz you out there. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like a whole different deal. So I've been there, but not really. Gotcha. Had a great time though. And, the and, thing that surprised me most is, um, um, I can't remember what happened, but I had to go down and get a prescription for something, and it was like sixty six cents, including my doctor's visit for Xanax. No. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> whatever they got going on for the whatever they got going on for the medical plan, I think it's highly subsidized by tourists. <laughs> like when something happens, they don't charge you any money. I get all my codeine cough syrup there. Yeah, like I got like a, <laughs> like an antibiotic or something. I can't remember. And uh, I mean, it's so long ago. It was 13 years ago. But I do remember. Oh shit! You know what we didn't talk about Seth. What this the freaking squirrel hides, man. Oh, I'm laying here as a reminder. Do you squirrel hunt a lot? Yeah, yeah. yeah what do you that. use? You ever tie a fly called a squirrel tail? Oh, yeah. Is that a fly? Well, or is it a hair's ear? I've, What's the fly? There's squirrel hair leeches. There's squirrel I've hair. Used a a ton ton of squirrel there's hair. one called yeah. the red squirrel nymph. That's a good one. My, okay, so I use red squirrel all the yeah. time. My roommate in graduate school would tie flies for money. He would have contracts to sell them, and he would now and then. He didn't hunt, but he would now and then accompany me to go out to shoot pine squirrels, and then he'd take yeah. their fur and put it in a coffee grinder and make flies with it. Make dubbing out of it. Yeah, well, actually, dubbing. pine squirrel, just the pelt is like an it's an amazing leech pattern. Yeah. I've used Thin that a strips. lot. I've, exactly. Yep. I've used yeah. that a lot. I also use mink, Ooh, which that. is totally underrated for mouse patterns. I do a ton of mousing. Yeah. In midday, by the way, which really, uh, you know, cool. they always tell you, oh, mousing's for, you know, Spring Creek at Full moon. two in the morning. Bullshit. Try it at noon. I'm not, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm serious. Swing a mouse pattern. I probably shouldn't say this. Just cast across 45 degrees. Let it hang down. Drag a wake behind it. 
It's insane. Yeah. What I mean, it's crazy. And you only get about three casts, and then it's like they're not taking it fine, move on to something else. But huh. I would say at least 50% of the time, midday, the biggest trout in the pool will be like, holy shit. And you hook up every single time. That's easy. I've done that all over the world. And floating down a river in the middle of the night, too. Totally. Or wading <laughs> through a mucky. I mean, I've done this. Like Silver Creek or, you know, in Idaho yeah. or whatever. You know, it's like famous for midnight mousing. No, midday. Well, uh, you know, we saw those. We'll, we'll talk about these squirrels some other time, Seth. All Beautiful right. job, though. Seth's going to start a podcast called Squirrel Grease Podcast. Are you going to send them in to <laughs> Panther Martin and get your money? No, we, these are for a different project. Uh, these are for a friend of ours who's a squirrel enthusiast. We're going to send them a black phase, eastern gray, gray phase, eastern gray. Squirrel slam. Fox squirrel. We're going to send them the whole. He's, he, he's a squirrel enthusiast, but somehow he doesn't have squirrel hides. So you take the guard hairs out of this. And that's like amazing tailing. That's good stuff. Don't touch yeah. that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can touch it. You can look at it and touch it, but just don't pluck anything. This is for, a guy. This is for a guy named Guy. We, uh, had a, we had a dude. For a guy I'm, named Guy Zuck. I did this morning show for four years. And we had this guy come on once who like worked at some bald eagle preserve. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of bald eagles where we live and they eat my trout and so I deeply resent them, but whatever. <laughs> so he has this bald eagle on the set and they're incredibly nasty animals. I'd never seen one up close, but they're really hostile. And I think this, the bird knew I didn't like it. And he was like angry at me. And at one point he jumps up and he loses a tail feather. So I snatched it up. The guy's like, you know, you're not allowed to have that. Only Native Americans can have it. It's a federal law. Okay, right. Okay, got it. So I bring it home. I uh-huh. took it and tied two wet flies out of it, two soft tackles. And those were the single most effective for salmon I've ever fished Bald in Bald eagle flies. Yes. Bald eagle. Bald now, eagle tail feathers. We did. I can't remember if we had him on. We had a warden on, uh, and we raised that question with him. And he has he had this guy we had had on twice in his career issued citations for what you're talking about. Oh yeah, it's not. But a there joke. were more egregious examples. The one he's sitting at a stoplight, and the guy next to him has his rearview mirror adorned with raptor feet. <laughs> <laughs> so he pulled him over to have a chat. The other one, he's leaving the grocery store, and it happens to be walking by a truck and sees that the guy has a like a small truckload of raptor carcasses, and so he waited for him to come out of the That's grocery fair. store to have ask, that- to ask him a few questions. But he said, like, yes, it's true, but those are the two times I was compelled to like follow up. Well, you can't be stupid. Uh, <laughs> Whenever I eat California condor, I grill it indoors because it's just too provocative to put it on the barbecue. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. 
rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like You can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. Uh, what was I? Was it? We were on squirrels, talking about tying all kind of flies. What do you shoot squirrels with? What do you use? 22s. You ever use 17 HMR? Yeah. What do you think of it? It does too much damage, man. Yeah, but but now I have a game point, like yeah. a solid point, like a game yeah, point. Yeah, 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 I do like it, but um, it does. I own one and like it, but it. I, it's I a fun prefer gun. the twenty two. The ammo never got as cheap as they promised it would. In mm-hmm. case you haven't noticed. Tucker, I, you should go to the media.com and read a caliber battle. <laughs> He's not going to tell you. I actually have He's strong views on, on caliber, so tell me what this is. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell He's you. He's going to use this to drive I, traffic. Let me teach you something about media, Tucker. Now, we could, <laughs> we could use this here platform to send people to another one of our platforms. Yeah. Sorry, he'd be he, he like, oh, you know, indictments were made against two senators. And to find out what happened, <laughs> yep. go to my article. Yeah. Yeah. See me on TikTok. That's right. So we have a caliber battle. It's about the 22 long rifle versus a 17 HMR. You can find it on the meateater.com. Seriously? Is that even a question? Like, so what, what are the, the measurements you're using? He uses... Because I shoot them both. Go ahead. We measure in three categories. Ballistics, shootability, and versatility. And cost. Well, well I mean, it's... When that, you did a 223, 2250... You factored in the the uh, readily the the abundance of two two three right. and low cost. I read the article. Yes, 
That's correct. Shootability means more than just like the recoil or the availability of ammo. Or is shootability an actual word? It is on the meteor.com. <laughs> yeah. And you know who's great with this uh, series that we do? Garrett. He is uh, a good resource for our writer, Jordan Sillers. Jordan has a question about uh, using a 22250 on a whitetail deer. He will shoot Garrett an email, and Garrett always has the answer. What do you think of that, 22250 on a whitetail? Uh, I don't know why. Like, sure, you could do it, but I, like, I, why? I agree. I, t- I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. I 22250s are. You think it's okay? Amazing on whitetail. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the whole argument with like 6.5-300s, you know? Yeah. How could you hunt an elk with a 6.5 until you've shot an elk with a 6.5-300? And it's very catastrophic. Well, the 6.5, people are like obsessed. I yeah. can't handle any more calibers, so I haven't gotten one, but... But it's oh. like for good reason. You're saying you like 22.250s for deer? Yeah, man. They're legal they, in this state, right? Yeah. Because it's a center fire. They're just, they're moving so fast that when that bullet expands, when it hits, it's very catastrophic. Like it's same, like I said, 6.5-300 if you've never shot one, one of Weatherby's cartridges. Yep. You shoot an elk with one of those and you're, it's just like, whoa, that's, it's way harder than like, people are going to hate this, but like, then my 338 win mag kind really? of concept yeah as far yeah, well, as just I mean, like once it comes smack. out of the it comes out of the barrel at a, a, a thousand right. feet faster than than yeah. like a 300 what does it do to your barrel life though i mean how many yeah. rounds could you put like 2000 and then you're done yeah but see they that, make your gun live about as long as a smoker right. no it's totally right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it also has to do with like all that is is heat right so it has yeah. to do with how you shoot your gun if you went out with a 65 300 or a 22 250 and shot you know a box of ammo through it and you just started wrapping rounds then yeah, it's going to well, burn up your barrel. You couldn't afford to do that anyway at this point, right? Yeah, well, you'd have to be sponsored by Montana, Federal to do something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I buy gun. I mean, I shoot a lot, a lot, a lot, and I think about. In fact, I, I even, I got an eight millimeter Mauser because I, I buy a lot of corrosive primer ammo because it's super cheap. Like, you know, Turkish ammo, Greek ammo from 1940. It's like I don't give a shit. I'll clean my barrel with Windex. The gun costs 400 bucks. <laughs> Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and I can shoot, and I, li- I actually like the round, but I'm not going to get a 6.5 Creedmoor because really I'm paying, or 300, even 300 Blackout. I wanted to get I wanted to get a suppressor in Blackout because a friend of mine was such a fun gun. So yeah. I'm not going to buy that ammo because it just bums me out. It's like every bowling pin that's like I shoot is $2 or something. No thanks. Yeah, it's just a lot of Shootability, those are, man. Yeah. Right there. They're popular because... <laughs> They're good. No, they are good. We should do a new column where where, uh, shootability by Tucker Carlson. I'm just saying the cost of ammo. I was shooting a 308 the other day, which I really like. I like mine. I actually have a, I see you're left-handed. I have Mm -hmm. a left-handed bolt. It's like the only rifle I I have a left-handed bolt on it, and I like it. But I'm just thinking, how much is a 308 round now? Like, what is it? What does it cost? You're left-handed? Yeah, very. Oh, that's good. But I shoot, <laughs> but all my all my bolt yeah, guns yeah, yeah, are yeah. right-handed because that's where they all come. I, I, I was in my 30s before I had one, and I couldn't get used to it. I initially didn't like it you know, when I got a left-hand bolt. Do you know why I bought my? I only have one. It's my 308 because it was cheaper. Oh. Honestly, no one wants a left-hand bolt. I just bought. I I just bought a new 17 HMR. That you ever shoot the Ruger 77? No. Oh, oh what the, a, like the model 77. Mo, the model 77. Yeah, no, the one yeah, that. Yeah. You, and I've got it in 357. It's like my, probably my favorite rifle. I just absolutely, and I just love the action on it. So I saw one in 17 and I was like, I, I just can't resist. And it was pretty cheap, but I, it was right-handed and I liked it better than the left. But it, it's cheap. Anyway, I just think the cost of I had of one ammo, and my brother Danny has it now in Alaska. Really? Because mm-hmm. it was right-handed. Once I, once I made the switch to left-handed. Oh, so you're all about that now. Now I'm Joe left-hand. I mean, I've always been left-handed, but now I got used to, like, I, I got over the impulse to lower the gun, switch hands, work the bolt. Yeah. Which is, 
once I got over it, no, I would never go back. But at first, I was just very because we shot hand me downs. Like you grow up shooting hand me downs, so all the hand me downs are right handed. That's exactly how I grew up, and now I have so many right handed bolt action rifles that I would like. What am I going to do with them all? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. So I have to stick with them. Yeah. We good on calibers? Yeah, we got it covered. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, walk walk me through. um, uh, Oh, you know, there's another thing I want to ask you first. Do you argue about politics with your kids? Not once. Not one time. We don't talk politics at home ever. Huh. Ever. Not one time. I raised my kids in Northwest D.C., in Washington, D.C., in the city. And Washington's a very, I have to say, I mean, it's a very screwed up place and I'm glad I don't live there anymore. But I spent many years, there, decades there, and it's a very pretty city. I mean, we lived right on a national park. You would not know you were in a city. It's like, it's a, it's a nice place to raise kids if you're going to do it in a city. But you're right in the middle of all this political drama. And because you are, Washington had this pretty wonderful culture of nonpartisanship in the neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. So you live next to people because it's a transient city. So it's like people are coming in to work for this administration, that administration. The neighborhood that we lived in and raised our kids in was like the permanent people who stayed. And because you're around it all day, you just didn't talk about it at all. We would never talk politics. In fact, it was like forbidden. You don't bring that shit up at a dinner party. And, you know, a lot of people at dinner party, you know, go over someone's house for dinner. That was very common every weekend. And like my neighbor was Hunter Biden's business partner. Then Hunter Biden lived right down the street. You know, we would never, and I, I had many dinners with Hunter Biden and always liked him. Our wives were good friends and we never talked politics one time, ever. No kid. Ever. And you extended that into your, 100%, into your like personal and my, sphere. And my wife was always pretty resolutely non-political. Mm-hmm. Um, she's from Michigan, talks just like you. That's great. The car and the park and <laughs> and, um, and she was always kind of not liberal, but kind, just not, poli- you know, just nice person kind of thing. Uh, um, she got way more political when Antifa showed up at her house. Uh, that kind of radicalized her a little bit, but but we just never, we just got in the habit of never talking about it. I mean, I, I don't think I talked about my job with my kids a single time at dinner, not one time. Hmm. And they sort of dimly were aware of what I did. But then, you know, we lived in a neighborhood with, you know, senators and ambassadors and everyone has a kind of high profile sort of political job in the world that they grew up in. And so, and there were a lot of famous people. And so my kids were just like, they don't like that stuff. They don't like politics. Um, no, we never talked about it. And it, cause it felt a little bit dur- like if you were a porn star, would you come home and be like, yeah, you'll never guess what I did today. You just like, wouldn't, it's just kind of not for kids. That's how yeah, that's we always point. felt. And by the way, I don't think you should politicize your kids. Like, what is that? You know, they don't know. What do they know? They don't, you know, they're not married. They don't have their own children. They don't pay taxes. They don't, they can't even vote. So like, yeah, that is, I do why find, are you getting them involved? I do find it hard with them um, and dealing with my own kids when you talk about politicizing because something will come up and it's like extremely complicated. Yes. And they'll pick up a sentiment and I almost want them to be like, no, even though that's a sentiment I just expressed. Don't have that sentiment. Well, kind of. Because there's a whole lot of things that went into that sentiment. And so just don't like. How old are your children? Go ride your bike. Uh, Six, eight, and 11. So I think if I were raising my kids now, thank God I'm not. They're all out of the house and all sort of happy and well-adjusted. But if I were raising them now, I would push back against this shit because there are totally unscrupulous people who are trying to politicize kids. Mm -hmm. And I almost don't care what your political views are. Stay the fuck away from children. Mm -hmm. I mean that. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're not allowed to have sex with children. You shouldn't be allowed to politicize. You know, they're children. Like, yeah. stop. And people are so aggressive in the world that I used to live in about 
throwing propaganda in your kids' faces and laying these heavy-duty moral trips on them and all this stuff that is so wrong that I think that if I had kids in like sixth grade and they were coming home and saying stuff, I'd be like, you know, fuck your teachers, honestly. Mm. Fuck your teachers. Excuse me. Sorry. I shouldn't swear. Oh, but right. Like I feel that way yeah. really strongly. I think it's like – it's so – immoral to do that to someone who can't fight back over whom you have power. Teachers have power over kids. They can't disagree. Like who would do something like well, that and to you're a not, child? You're not able to, They're um, a captive audience. I think the yeah, and you're not able to give the full, they're, they're not equipped to understand like all the steps that got there. Exactly. And so when you introduce, like when you introduce even contemporary subjects to them, um, you lose sight of the fact that you're carrying behind you sort of like decades worth of understanding the yes, evolution of yes, ideas. Yes. And then all of a sudden you just deliver them. It'd be like you're giving them the answer without showing them the work. That's a really smart analogy. And, I and I, that's right. I, 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 I recoil from it. But then yeah. I also don't want them to be like, I don't want them to be naive and idiots. Well, kids also have a hair trigger sense of moral outrage. All children do. That's mm-hmm. very easy to exploit. So it's very easy to tell kids there's a right side and a wrong side. The wrong side is immoral. The right side is virtuous. And kids will buy it. Kids are extremely judgmental because they're not aware of their own shortcomings because they haven't failed yet. So your average 52-year-old, which is where I find myself, it's a little bit harder to judge because you're like, you know, I kind of get, I disagree with what you're doing, but I kind of get why you're doing it. Or in that circumstances, maybe I would do the same. You're, You're less judgmental as you age because you understand how incredibly complex Life is, and decisions are hard to, wise decisions are hard to reach, and sometimes people fail, and, and you've failed. And you mm-hmm. know, as my father used to say when I was a kid, the root of all wisdom is knowing what an asshole you are. And as you age, you appreciate what an asshole you are. Kids do not appreciate that. And so you can turn them into the Khmer Rouge in about 20 minutes. Yeah. And the yeah. Khmer Rouge literally <laughs> did this with kids. They'd be like, you know, he, you know, here's an AK-47. Those are the bad guys. Go kill them. And they're like, okay. And so to exploit that weakness in children strikes me as especially dishonorable. It really, really, I'm like so offended by it. I can't even, and by the way, it, you know, it goes without saying that the politics that kids are being exposed to are not my politics, but even if they were, I would disagree with it. I just, I'm just liberal in a traditional sense that way. I think we should keep kids out of it. I really do. Uh, Talk, talk through, when you get involved in something like Pebble Mine, like on your show, I mean, you got to be like inundated with all like every issue on the planet, right? Yeah. And here's one that probably um, wasn't like at wasn't in the news cycle. You know, on a national sense, wasn't like it wasn't sort of like driving the day's news, right? But you you kind of like hit on a thing like this and, and addressed it and had people come talk about it. And it's not a ratings play. No, I don't God, no it's definitely not a ratings play. Yeah, so, uh, My God. producers are like, really? <laughs> uh, Bristol Bay, Alaska? Like what? The salmon spawn? Come on. Yeah. How often do you get like, how often do you uh, do a thing where you bring a thing up that, that is sort of dovetailed with your personal passion? Like you don't do a fishing report every night, no, right? No, I don't. But you're and, interested in fishing. Uh, well, you know, I try not to, and this is something else you fight against as you age. I try not to be boorish. Like, if you had given me any leash at all, I would have bored you about fly tying for like an hour mm-hmm. because I can't control myself. You know, how do you wrap the hack? Well, that's not the right way to palmer. Like, I could actually get stultifying on the subject, but you pull yourself back. So uh, you try, you try to be self-aware and like, just because you're interested doesn't mean other people are and whatever. So I pull back a lot. I have all kinds of weird obsessions. 
um, mostly having to do with hunting and fishing and nature and animals, dogs. I'm really, we have four dogs. They sleep on the bed, four spaniels, you know, like, so I could do like a dog show, but not everyone's, <laughs> not everyone thinks like springers and English cockers are as endlessly fascinating as I think they are. I literally, back to the, back to the fly tying desk. Yeah, talk, exactly. Talk I literally looked at pictures of my spaniels on the plane today flying here. That's how obsessed I am. But I don't, I don't want to impose that on my audience because they're not as interested as I am. But occasionally there's there's a subject that the emotion comes welling up in such a way that I can't pull it back. And destroying the largest salmon spawning ground in the world because some Canadian copper company wants more, you know, no. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that crossed a line in my mind. And it does match up with something that I try to introduce as a concept a lot, which is the more that people, especially, I'm just going to say it, I am one of them, but the more that rich people virtue signal about the environment and the earth the more they tend to kind of degrade the environment in the earth. The more we talk about climate, and I'm not denying the existence of climate change at all. It's clear to me. On the other hand, the more we focus on that, the more I notice that like the places I fish become dirtier and there's more garbage by the side of the stream. Like whatever happened to stopping littering? Like if you can't stop littering, mm -hmm. then you're failing as a conservationist. Like because littering is despoiling the environment. You know, stuff like that. I, I just, I really feel strongly about that. And air and water quality is like the most basic level of conservation. There's nothing theoretical about it. If the water's too dirty for the fish to live, you're guilty of a crime. That's how I feel about it. It's super simple. And we can measure that. It's not hard to know whether that's happening. You know, it's we don't need some scientific model. Well, really, is the hockey stick real? Like, what was the temperature in medieval Europe? Mm-hmm. We don't need to guess about water quality. We can find out immediately and we can look at the fishery and the health of the fishery. And, you know, DDT, we didn't need to guess that it was killing birds of prey because suddenly there were fewer birds of prey. Like we knew that the shells were getting thinner and, you know, Rachel Carson was right. Okay. So we stopped DDT. Anyway, you see my point. So on that subject, it was like, you know, I'm not against mining. I'm not against extraction. I'm not against metals as a shooter. You know, I, I go through a lot of copper. So I'm, yeah. for, I'm for copper. You're pro copper. Yeah, I have jars of pennies in my closet. So, you know, I'm I'm not against copper, but it's a balance. You know, there are coppers found in a lot of different places. And like, how about we don't destroy this very rare place? And I was just in this weird circumstance through no fault of my own where I had some small, I mean, I'm a talk show host. I'm not elected to anything. I have no actual power. But there was just this weird confluence of events where I did have some measure of influence on this one specific thing. Yeah, and it was timed. I mean, it was timed, right? Yeah. And yeah. again, my job is just to explain what I think the news means. It's a really simple job. My job is not to change the world. It's not to make, you know, lead a movement or anything like that. I mean, I have a very narrowly defined job description in my head. What's going on in the world? What does it mean? That's it. That's my whole job. And I write my script. Every, I write my open every night. I'm going to write it after the show, and and that's what I brood on. I'm, I'm basically a writer. That I'm not basically. I'm literally a writer. That's my job. So I don't see myself as like waking up every morning to make the world better, or, you know, save some mm -hmm. fishing spot that I happen to like. But it just so happened that, you know, I had the, for a fleeting second, the power to have a small effect on this one thing that I cared about, and so I did. I try not to make a habit of that. Yeah. I'm not an activist. I'm the opposite of an activist. I What's the opposite of an activist? I like to watch. 
<laughs> I'm a voyeur. No, honestly. I I started as a print journalist. That's hilarious, my dad man. was a print journalist. Like the, he my dad had politics, I have politics, but ultimately your job is to is to just sit quietly and watch things and try and figure out what they mean and tell people what happened. I mean, I really feel that way. Yeah, yeah. But what was so interesting about that moment in time over the course of how long the back and forth of Pebble Mine has been going was uh, the activists mm-hmm. from all corners of the activist world said, holy shit, even Tucker Carlson's talking about this, right? People are so dumb. It's like <laughs> even Tucker Carlson, what, I'm on the side of some Canadian copper mine? Like, why would I be on that side? And I like Canada. I fished a lot in Canada. I used to have property in Canada, but like- why would I necessarily be on that side? It just shows how dumb people are. They're like, well, you must be for this. Well, no, actually I'm not, you know, where people have assumptions. I, I don't really care what people think of me, obviously. <laughs> you can't be this hated if you care. And I really don't, but I'm always kind of amazed by the assumptions that people have. Well, you must think this. Well, no, why would I think that? Yeah. You no, know, I really don't. And and on the, just because I, I, I don't have any weird mystical reason, but I, I just really enjoy the outdoors. I have my whole life and I have my views on actual environmental stuff are definitely more on the radical side. I just, you know, I don't think that we should ban wood stoves because of climate change. So like, but that doesn't mean I'm, you know, I think some of the climate stuff is a, is a pure power grab. And I notice because I lived there for 30 years, I know a lot of the people involved in it and, you know, they, they don't ever go outside. Like ever, they know nothing about the natural world. And you're lecturing me on the environment? Really? You know, who do you, there's another agenda here and it's a political agenda. It's politics. Of course it's that there's a political agenda. But the pure conservation environmentalist agenda is something I buy 100%. And why wouldn't I? I love nature. It's at the center of my life. You say in, uh, you mentioned in um, Rachel, Carlson, Rachel Carson. Yeah. Made me think of... Uh, Rachel Maddow, you guys lined up at some point in your careers at a news organization when you were young, didn't you? Yeah, I hired her, actually. Um, I had a show. There was a period when MSNBC didn't sort of know what it was. I had just, I'd been at CNN for a long time. Um, I hated them. They were just lo- so loathsome. Oh my God, they were like the worst people. It was like the collection of the worst people in the world all worked in one place. Made it convenient to avoid it. Was, it was, it was, it was. And ultimately I left and MS was trying to like rebrand as like a more populist. I don't know what, they didn't really know what they wanted, but they made me the lead anchor there. I was later fired for low ratings. It didn't work. Um, but while I was there, I wanted someone to debate. You know, I wanted to like a-, a Oh, night- that's what you guys link up was. Yeah. So I went through, we actually had all these tapes from different agents. Like, well, you should hire my client or whatever. And I got to hers and I was like, wow, this woman's really smart. And she's a li- she's a linear thinker. She'd be like, okay, if this happens, then that happens. She mm-hmm. wasn't. She was very rational in her debate style, which I love. And she's a nice person. And so we brought her on. Uh, we hired her to do this debate segment. And I thought she was great. I always got along with her. Um, in later life, she got obsessed with fishing. That's what I wanted to ask about with fly is, fishing. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that you guys had had some overlap at a news organization. 
and I knew she liked to fish. And I was curious if you guys are like just a, like a funny play. You may like, have a funny Central play as you two fishing. <laughs> well, it was sort of <laughs> weird. Well, well, actually, what happened was she wasn't into fishing when she was a radio host actually on this like progressive uh, network, Air America, that later went defunct. No, I remember that. Wasn't the, Al Franken involved? Yeah, Al Franken started it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was a, just a different time, you know, where you could have friends with different views. But I they, was, it was like a satellite show, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, like a big series or whatever the hell. And she was not yeah. into fishing. I was. In fact, one of the reasons I got fired was I would like fish too much and not do my work. I was incredibly lazy and entitled at the time. Getting fired makes you less lazy and entitled. But hmm. I would literally fe- – the show was shot in a warehouse in Secaucus, New Jersey, which oh, is like – Secaucus. It's, it's, <laughs> where, it's like a post-industrial wasteland. It's where all the slaughterhouses were. It's right outside the city on the other side of the Lincoln Tunnel. It's truly unattractive. But there are all these retaining ponds there. <laughs> and so I would always bring my fly rod and just like bass fish before the show. <laughs> and anyway, I ultimately got fired because- So people see you on uh, TV, is it safe to assume you were fishing within 24 hours? Yeah, for, well, for sure. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, I live, <laughs> I mean, I live on an island in a lake where, you know, fish rise off my dock. So it's pretty easy. But anyway- I got fired and she became the star of the network, which she still is. I mean, that was 15, at least 15 years ago. And she went on to serious stardom and she's like one of the most influential people in the Democratic Party. And then she got into fishing. And then she got into fishing and she is, she told me this and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think it was a friend of hers said, you're under a lot of stress. You should go out into New York Harbor. There's pretty good striper fishing certain times a year. And you should pick up a fly rod and see if you can take one on a popper. And she did. After the show, like at night, which is pretty crazy. Also kind of dangerous, actually, to be fishing in New York Harbor at night, you know, mm-hmm. but whatever. But she got really, really into it, like obsessed, as people do with the fly rod. You know, it's something about the action of loading a rod, it's like one of the coolest sort of experiences in physics. you just like, how does that happen, you know? Uh, anyway, she got really into it. And we've always gotten along. I've never criticized her. I think she's totally sincere. You know, we just have different views, which has always been fine. But you haven't me. fished. We've never fished. You know, and she lives. <laughs> I wanted. I wanted to hear that you guys went. Fishing no, we never there. did, and I'm sure that we will because um, some of the guys at um, TRCP know her well. I just never go anywhere anymore because, yeah, yeah. like, why would I? So I go to I go to Montana and Alaska, and that's about it. Hey, let me ask you about a current event D thing. Um, I don't know if you're up on it or not. If you're not, you don't have to. Um, no apologies necessary, but. They did so. They voted on. If you don't know this by now, like we don't really we don't release these the day we make them. Anyways, today, whatever the hell today is, Thursday. Mm-hmm. It was a talk. Stone Manning, the BLM, Biden's tap the person he tapped to head the BLM. You familiar with the story at all? Yep. Someone Cal laid out an Earth First person. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Seemingly layout. So so they we were texting about this morning. Yep. It's it's undecided. It was like yeah, a toss, they, but how is it a toss up? It's not a fifty to fifty toss up. It's like a five to five toss up. No, the Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources voted. It was split along party lines. So strict party 10. lines. Um. So the vote will go to the full Senate. This is a really tricky one, man. It is. I agree. Lay it's, it out, Cal. Just okay. lay lay out the if saying who the not the if saying their butts the okay. who where when. Tracy Stone Manning, Biden's pick, his, his nominee for the head of the BLM, Bureau of Land Management. Uh, she is or was at National Wildlife Federation, I believe. Is, I believe. Is that an is right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
in her younger days, and this apparently was on record uh, throughout her career, uh, but now is much more much more on topic is uh, University of Montana. Both Steve and I went to the University of Montana for stints. Um, she was involved with Earth First uh, and a, like a radical group yeah, of it, Earth Firsters. But not as a high schooler, as a graduate student. As a graduate so student. So you're getting up into... You're getting up into being like a sentient being. Hopefully, right? Your, your parents shouldn't be. Your parents you're shouldn't like be verging on being a sentient being. <laughs> your parents shouldn't be coming in, waving a finger, and being like, "Now you know better." Yeah. yeah. Right. So you're like, uh, yeah, you're it, well into your twenties. Yes. And uh, this this group of Earth Firsters, uh, there's a, a logging operation set set to go over the hill in the Clearwater. Um, they were protesting that uh, within that group. They decided in order to protest this, they were going to spike trees, which is the act of driving some sort of a rod into a tree that when a chainsaw bar and chain hit that uh, can have some catastrophic uh, destructive repercussions. Yeah. Uh, potentially with chunks of metal flying places. And, you know, it's it's, it's a situation that can get somebody hurt. Yeah, well, uh, I know that... A, I don't even know where, I just read it, in relation to this story that a mill, at least one known mill worker was killed from a blade hitting a, uh, an yeah. intentionally placed spike. In in this situation or no, no, just no, no. in the history Not, of no, tree no, spiking? No, it was like giving a roundup on spiking, how okay. it's generally used to be that, like done in the way you're going to lay out, people spike and they go like, hey, heads up, don't even bother, they're spiked. You wouldn't, not that you wouldn't, um, you could also spike it and not tell anybody, which is, I'm not trying to It'd make like, like a one, one better than the other, but like worse than spiking is spiking and not telling anyone. Yeah. It'd be like an IED or a landmine would be like the contemporary yeah. equivalent, I, I would say. I don't, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. You're hiding something that's going to uh, blow up in somebody's face. Yeah. Um, now, the, the two sides of this, from what I understand, is... Uh, Tracy Stone Manning has been uh, called like part of the group, no knew about the tree spiking, very involved. And then the other side would be that she just retyped a letter for the group and was in fact like not that involved, but attached to it. And she turned state's evidence on the, the tree spikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the folks that actually committed the act of tree spiking, and, and I think two of the guys went to prison um, for pretty good stints. Yeah, and if yeah. I'm not mistaken, it was uh, they wrote a. It, it's described. Um, it's described in news articles as profanity laced. Uh, they wrote a profanity laced letter to the Forest Service saying, "Hey, we spiked the trees." For some reason, I'll never understand this, and only the people involved would know. She transcribed it. She typed a hand. She typed a handwritten yes. letter, and turned the letter in. Later, um, her story was that oh, I was notifying them, like giving them a heads up. And then another way to look at it would be that you were complicit, and it was part of the plan to yes. do it and tell people. And so you were part of it. You weren't like calling nine one one. And I think she's trying to recast it as more of like a nine one one call rather than a all part all part of the plan call. Yeah, and and I have. Like, I've transcribed plenty of stuff, and I don't always do it without adding my own little, <laughs> right? So it's like, 
uh, you know, there's there's parts of that that I, I just, it's hard to say. But, um, so there's this, we can say that she's an eco-terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, we can say she's just caught up in the wrong crowd. But, like, the overarching thing here is, like, it did happen a long time ago. 30 years. But we, we know that no one cares. There's no statute of limitations on anything anymore, man. Right. Um, but she's had a, a long career and uh, has pretty darn good marks as far as, like, her willingness to work with different groups and, uh, you know, complete objectives on behalf of wild places throughout her career. Yeah. I don't buy the 30-year thing because if someone made, you could make an off-color joke 30 years ago and still lose your career. So the fact yes. that you commit, like, uh, like you are, are are not involved in, in an act of terrorism, like, I don't think it would term out. I think it's tricky. It's like, I, don't, I tried to, reading this morning, I tried to, like, get an opinion. I can't make a good opinion. I, I can't make a good opinion. Like, I don't know. Uh, uh, it's tr- very tricky for the Biden administration because here's, like, oh, it's, like, uh, it's radicalized domestic terrorism, and you boys have been talking about that a whole bunch. <laughs> About not liking that. Blaming me for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. And I we mean, have him in the room. Yeah. I mean, so, there yeah. are a bunch what, of different your... levels here. I mean, first of all, I'm in Montana. So let me just say, because I think it's required. I hate BLM. Uh, Bureau of Land Management. Yeah, uh, Bureau of Land Management. Actually, I don't hate BLM, but, but I know that they're, I, I mean, I've had some intense conversations about Bureau of Land Management fishing out here. People have very strong feelings about them. Holy smokes. Oh, as far as like if they're running their cattle out Yeah, there, whether they're be managing there the, the public land well. I'm not even going to get involved sure. in that. Yep, this is yep, not my yep. region Familiar of the country. Yeah. Um, but man, some people hate them. You know, I'd say a couple things. One, you know, they're hiring a lot of radicals, like actual radicals, which freaks me out because I'm, one thing I'm not as radical, I believe in kind of incremental progress. I mean, I believe in nature, which doesn't, there's nothing radical about nature. It's like, no, their you know, ATF pick is a radical. Big time radical. Yeah. That guy's a freaking What's his name? nutcase. Chipman? Chipman. David Chipman. But in this case, I have a bunch of different feelings. One, I live in a region that is defined by logging, you know, lumber and paper mills. That's what, you know, that's what it is. And I think the, the threat to forests is not warehouser, mead, IP. You know, it's not the traditional paper companies, the land management companies. It's the selling off of the physical assets of a lot of these companies to private equity firms like Beirut, the Yale Endowment, Yale University yeah. Endowment. And the problem is they whack the shit out of the land. And, you know, your traditional, like the the Pingree family in Maine, which they own like a million acres of land they have for 150 years. Like they cut carefully because that's, you know, it's their land. But when you disaggregate this stuff, it creates incentives for people just to come in and just rape the land. And I'm against that. I mean, there's a way to manage a forest that's good for everybody. And if that then gets chopped up into really small places and sold off, then it's a huge problem. Like we don't get the forest back ever. Thank you. So there are real concerns about how to manage forests, especially around fires. It's this is like an endless conversation that I'm super interested in because I live in the middle of a forest, but not to be boring. But so I think it's worth having a debate about how do we do this. Some of the the radicals. You know, on this subject, I am kind of sympathetic with spiking trees is ridiculous. I agree. Because first of all, who does it hurt? The working man, the most despised suffering group in America, the people who are dying of fentanyl ODs, the people who live near me, all, you know, every man in my county has worked in the woods, as they say in Maine at one point or another. Well, I, I had a chainsaw blow up on me two years ago. I oversharpened the chain, you know, those 
I don't know if you ever sharpened a chainsaw chain, but the files are incredibly sharp and you can weaken the chain if you're not paying attention. I didn't have my glasses and I was, and the thing blew, I was making a cut at shoulder height oh. and the chain broke and nothing happened actually. It was totally fine, but it scared the shit out of me. So like the idea, people can get really hurt. But you run a chainsaw, so you, you had your, your pro on, I didn't, right? I didn't. You didn't? I, no, I had my, I... actually... Honestly, I had those, whatever, the, the stupid, cheap ear protection that Hickok 45 wears, you okay. know, which is like the strap around it, because it does hurt your ears. Yep. And I didn't even have glasses on, because uh, it was like, long story, but whatever. Flip-flops? No, I didn't have flip-flops, but it was, <laughs> but it was just scary. Anyway, I'm very sympathetic, like, yeah. spiking trees hurts exactly the wrong people. If you're mad about what Weyerhaeuser's doing, take it up with the head of Weyerhaeuser. And going through... Right? But not the man who's cutting the trees. Absolutely. And, and that's... But that's like one of the things that I battle with on this conversation. She didn't spike I'm the like, trees. That, but it's also like the mark of a stupid kid where it's like, have you ever met a logger that right. is logging because right. they hate trees? I've been the, around a lot of loggers. Me too. And they love trees <laughs> and they can talk about trees forever. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a guy who is one of my closest friends in Maine who was, was a logger all his life, but he can bore you for like three hours and did the other night just on hemlock. You know, the thing about hemlock is, I mean, and I'm not exaggerating, like they love trees and yes. they know everything about trees. And now they have feller bunchers where I live. So it's like you're sitting inside a cab you know, cutting 10 trees at once, there's no, you know, spiking is not a thing because skitters and chainsaws are gone, actually. They're not a part of industrial logging anymore. But the point is hitting the guy on the ground who's making a wage, really? If you're doing that, you're the, exactly the kind of person I hate, which is a morally inflamed, out of touch, rich college kid with his head up his ass. Like that's the wrong way to approach whatever you think the problem is, is hurting the wage earner at the bottom of the food chain. I just hate that. But I do think that we should have a real conversation about forest management, and we're not because we're only about climate. I'm, again, I'm not saying climate's not an issue. I think it is. But, like, we have actual solvable issues. You know, how do you manage a forest? The beetle kill. It killed me well, hold on, the, to see the, all of those that two, like, But forest management and climate change are, like, very dovetailed. They, they yeah, are. They yeah. are. But climate change, like, climate change is more real than the solutions to climate change. So my problem with climate change is not – does it exist or whatever? I mean, to some, it's hard to measure, but to some extent it's measurable. And as someone who loves to snowshoe, it's clearly something's going on where I snowshoe, okay? Yeah, yeah. I get it. But what do we do about it is the real question. And that's a highly politicized question, a nuanced question with a lot of unknowns. What's not unknown is why the water quality sucks or, you know, if Beirut is somehow, you know, selling off paper company land for condos on Moosehead, like, I think we can be against that. I guess that's my point. So like, let's start with the things that we can actually affect that have known solutions. Like why not start there? Like how about no more throwing McDonald's bags out your window? How about when you come to this country, the first thing you learn, we're totally welcome to have you. I'm, I'm pro-immigrant personally. We don't litter here. And by the way, if you litter, we're going to cut your hands off because you're not allowed to do that. No littering, like no littering, just no littering. Yeah, when I was a kid- I imagine that would, that would cut down on littering. Well, when I was a kid <laughs> growing up in California, littering was like the worst thing you could do. Yeah. You, you, you know, the sexual ethics in the world I lived in were very loose, I would say. You could have sex with anybody. But throwing a beer can out a window, it was, there no, was no. the crying Indian. Remember that? Yeah. You guys are maybe too young. No, yeah. no, I, I remember that from being a kid. Totally. Yeah. Like littering was bad. I still feel that way. Don't 
wreck the land. You know, throw shit on the land. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. They recreated that scene in Wayne's World 2, Spencer, if that's closer to your age. <laughs> but if I've got a 50-gallon drum of used motor oil, maybe don't pour it in the stream. Where I live, the, the paper companies, they have, you know, they send the crews in. You can't cut in the spring because it's too wet. You can't get the machines in there. Um, so, you know, late spring, when it dries out a little bit, they'd send the crews in to cut. And the mosquitoes are so intense. It's like Alaska in Western Maine that they would take used motor oil and just pour it on the streams because it, you know, mosquitoes can't lay their eggs. In yeah, motor I oil. remember that. Yeah. yeah. Or another thing that people did where I live is to rust proof their cars, they drill holes around the top of the windows and they would pour used motor oil into the car frame, you know, into the, into the body of the car. And then it would slowly drip out and that would keep your car from rusting. I don't remember that one. <laughs> like, that's bad. Wow. And like, let's stop that kind of thing before we start, you know, stopping my wood stove. I don't know where they're at on it now, but uh, there was, uh, who's the guy, who's the guy that wrote like the, cor- no, not the corrections. Damn it. A novelist. I was reading his thing. He had a thing about climate change and he was looking at the insurmountability of of addressing the issue, and, and he was like uh, basically pessimistic about the you know getting like India on board and China on board. And like, <laughs> you think, yeah, right? the, the do it, and he was like, the thing we can do is tighten up our program in all the areas that we can affect, right? Meaning habitat preservation, right? That's clean water, clean air, and exactly. Like, this is gonna go. There's one thing we can do is is. Like batting down the hatches. That's how I feel. Exactly. You know, and, and that was, and it was a, it was a, and get it serious. Was a, it was a thought provoking set of ideas, Ooh. kind of like, but I said, like I said, uh, pessimistic or, or fatalistic, which is where I usually sit because, um, on that one, I just look and be like, oh, man, now globally, like how climate change, like, the, the, how, like right. to get the developing world on board, it just seems so hard to do, man. Well, That's what some people say, like, if, it, if it, it, it'll be, it'll wind up needing to be, it's going to need to be a technological solution because it's not going to be that, that everyone, that, that globally, everyone's going to No, there, there set, would have to be gonna, an, imp, we'd have to revisit mass imperialism to get everybody on one program. Yeah. And it's just like. Carbon emissions are driven by industrial production. And that's not what we do anymore. You we know? let other countries do that. Exactly. So the countries that, and, and glo- I mean, over time, the most powerful country in the world is the industrial power. The country that makes the most shit has the most power. It was true of the UK, it was true of the US, it's becoming true of China. So that's very obvious when you look over this you know, scope of a hundred years. So like, why would China say, well, we're just going to deindustrialize right as we're taking over the world? Probably not going to happen. Same with India, same with Africa. You know, if you're, if you're cooking dinner over cow pies, it's kind of cool to have bottled LP gas. Like, why wouldn't you want that? And they do. And I understand that. So I don't know. You need to kind of keep that in mind that we're not going to stop carbon emissions in a meaningful way until we can stop the industrialized, the emerging industrialized powers from building coal plants. And we we can't because coal is just cheaper. How many coal plants has China built this year? I'm not attacking China. I get it. That's their national interest, but we need to be honest about it. Oh, we we would have to ignore... Our history here in the United States in order to But we're not going to be on it. And, so. and, but let me just say, this is one thing I am an expert on. I'm not an expert on global climate change. I've spent a lot of time reading about it, but I'm not hardly an expert. Obviously, I'm not a scientist. I'm an expert on politics. I think I can say that conclusively. And whenever politicians of either party enter into a political debate, 
the solutions will be political. And by political, I mean they'll be designed to enhance the power of the people designing the solutions. Sorry, that that's what it is. That's what politics is. How do I good get for the, more- Good for them and their allies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, How yeah. do I empower myself and disempower you? And to pretend that because we call something science that the rules of politics, which are fundamental laws that are unchanging, don't apply, you're lying. And the true, but it's also true for COVID. Doesn't mean COVID's not real. Doesn't mean we shouldn't take precautions against it or try and fight it or whatever. We should do all kinds of things. But the second politicians enter into the equation, their overriding concern is how will these solutions make me more powerful? And that's just always true. It doesn't matter what the topic is. And for the rest of us to pretend it's not because someone yelled science in a crowded theater, we're lying to ourselves and we're not, you know, we're not going to get to the wisest answer if we pretend that politicians aren't always acting to make themselves more powerful and us less powerful because they are always. That's true. Bank account. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Tuck Carlson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spence, what do you need to plug? <laughs> I got a note One, from Crin. Yeah, Crin yeah. wrote me a note through my computer. One last thing. We set up an email address called trivia at themediator.com. So you're S- not going to wait to see how it went. Wouldn't that's what I want. Send an email there. Tell me what you liked. <laughs> tell me what you didn't like. Tell oh. me if there's something you think I got wrong. But most of all, I want you to write in with your own questions that you want to stump Steve and the crew with. And if we use your question, I'll give you a shout out on the podcast and, and, and do you want to have, do. do you want to invite their feedback about whether you should be given more time and more latitude to pursue <laughs> your trivia dream? Yes. I want you to convince Steve that this is a good idea. Hmm. I can't believe I, I lost like to a clerical error <laughs> <laughs> of my own. <laughs> well, I never, I never, I want to, uh, I never finished explaining what you guys were fighting about. Oh, last night? Yeah. So they got in a real bad fight. <laughs> Real bad. It was hard to track. It was Guys like, out. Brody was more pointing <laughs> out that you could now use a muzzleloader and a uh, flintlock. Katie was so fed up, she just almost left. Cal, my wife wanted to go home. She's so irritated. Uh, we had a debate last night. What, can you just, in one sentence, really the quickly, side? Like, who was on what no, side? It, got, like, it, it wasn't clear. <laughs> it became that um, it turned into... This is this is what they got so mad about. It turned into would having a flintlock season at that time contribute to pushing more elk off public land onto private, and would they then return? I think that's what you guys were fighting about. We got into that for sure. Yeah, and Cal at one point um, tried to put Brody in his place. Cal saying, I wouldn't come and tell you about wolves in Colorado. Don't tell me about elk in Montana. That was one of the lower points. That was one of the, <laughs> that was the point at which I, I woke up to this morning being that. like, God, I'm an asshole. Like, That's not good. Can I just ask a dumb question? Yes, By sir. Flintlock, is it rifle barrel or musket? This was, it's rifled barrel. Primitive, like... Okay, so traditional, the, not the, the new inline but the, kind. But the lock is traditional, but the barrel is yep. so rifle. rifle. Okay, so you can actually kill elk with oh, that. Oh, for oh, sure. Yeah, and yeah. you got it, and you can't use a telescope. You can't use a scope. Yeah, but it was it was the reason. Here, here's why they were so testy about it. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time. They were so testy about it because <laughs> it's a it's a part of a longer thing. There's a conversation about are we pushing elk too hard too long yeah that's a fair I think and it's so real... it was like this was like a proxy battle you had like the soviet union in america right <laughs> which is like i re- that was that and then this was a flare-up in laos you know 
<laughs> about the flintlocks. Sure. Because you guys are yeah. fighting about, are we pushing elk too hard? Yep. And then, but it, it, it took the form of like yet another example of. We don't even need to get like in. Things that we on do on side. behalf of the word opportunity. Like everything's good if we provide more opportunity. Yeah. And at right. a point, it might it's be that you just, yeah. you can't kill elk seven months out of the year. And meanwhile, while folks at the dinner table are getting uncomfortable and would like it to end, Steve is scoring it like a boxing match. <laughs> He's like, that's a great point, Cal. Brody. <laughs> and then Brody would take his turn. He said, oh, well said, Brody. Cal, what do you got? <laughs> but does anyone think it's kind of, imp- I mean, to shoot an elk with a flintlock does seem like kind of sporting. Oh, and yeah, that's the problem sure. with the end of the argument is like, what do you got to get flint? I like nothing. If it goes into effect, I will get one and kill an elk with it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is... In the end, it was a pointless argument. So, yeah. What's the range for effective range for a flintlock? Oh. 100 yards? Under, under, uh, under 100. We need to put it because Seth grew up in the first state to ever have a flintlock deer season. Yep. Pennsylvania. We want to learn all about this. Watch Meat Eater on Netflix coming up September. We got our lock up. Crazier because you're hunting whitetails that go insane after they've been hunted with rifles for a couple. Yeah, it's tough. Did you ever take one with a flintlock? Yeah, several. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We used to. It was the last season of the year, so it was like your last chance to get a deer for the year. Stand or are you stalking them? Uh, A lot of deer drives. Oh, I forgot they do that. Yep. Oh yeah, man. Yep. We 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 shot an episode all about it. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen. I've never done that. I, is it fun? We haven't released it yet. Yeah. And uh, I'll just tell you right now. Well, no, I could. Uh, in, in, I'm gonna be like Spencer. You have to watch it. See yeah, you got to go happen. to TikTok to find out. How <laughs> <it happens. laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, Tucker, thanks so much for coming out. It's fun to talk. I can't believe this is what you guys do for a living. I really envy you. Oh yeah, we only get to if do your it once debate a week. is about flintlock elk hunting <laughs> like you've already won i don't know what you get paid but you you win well we're we're going up to the fish shack in alaska uh starting tomorrow bright and early tomorrow morning and uh you know the rule up there is no politics over dinner either so good i like that rule. it is now i'm just saying uh yeah we should i like that rule Let's but stick um, with it but i'm bringing my three kids too so that would violate the other rule about not politicizing children that's true it's all about our treble hook snagging you know what? I like those. In days. salt water up there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's oh, so you've so got old. a position on that. Of course you do. You're Steve no, Rinaldo. I don't have a position on it, but you are allowed, like, it's. Yeah. yeah. Put that down on a future talking point, Corinne. Okay. Future, ta- like. Saltwater snagging. Uh, okay or not? It's not. And, and <laughs> sorry, it's not. And I don't care if you have a native ex- exemption, it's not. And, it's and not. put this question in there why is it so much easier to land a salmon with a fly rod? Because, they're, because the, the flies mouth. in their mouth. It's because they're not hooked in the yeah, adipose right. fin. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> totally true. Yeah. Actually, I like my son's always on me for foul hooking fish on dry flies. You know, your resectors aren't fast enough, whatever. But I always argue it's it's actually more impressive to land a foul hooked fish. Like in the dorsal fin? Yeah. Or yeah, they put up a good tussle. Oh man. my gosh. When he's out there and you can feel his tail moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we used to say they fight harder when you hook them in the motor. That's <laughs> true. That's <laughs> true. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. Thanks for supporting the book, Soup. Really appreciate it. Take care. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. 
They are warm, breathable, silent, and odor resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands. So we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind. First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years. Uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska. And I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com.